Hello everyone, welcome to Scott and Paul's Rambling Podcast. Hi. Scott McLeod here, joining as always by my good friend and co-host, Paul Brown. Hello. And we're here with this series that really is not becoming as regularly as we'd like. I mean, we'd like to at least try it once a month, but sometimes uh, we take these weird gaps in between. And uh, especially given that our focus has primarily been impact, when we did get a chance to record, with the exception of the last week when we got back to Fraser, most mostly we take take we mostly take breaks due to Scott's stints and rehab for the tonic wine. Don't you even <laughs> start pushing these lies towards these people I've never set foot in rehab or take a sip of tonic wine in my life. That is your tonic wine is your one of your your beverages of choice. One of many. I was going to say one of many, but I didn't think. See, you can say it, but I thought it would sound too cheeky coming from me. No. 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 Now he, just Paul truthful. Under, Paul understands who he is. I'm comfortable with who I am. And so you should be. Yeah. I am a better jaded, borderline alcoholic with just a soup song of cheer. <laughs> but, Did you like that little phrase there for yeah. a little bit of Fraser reference? Just a soup song of cheer. <laughs> See? And you think people think spending hours watching Fraser doesn't get have any benefit. Yeah, it even helps grumpy drunks. <laughs> like Scott. I fuck off. <laughs> but this is in your house uh, eight. eight. Beware of dog, but there's no they don't even got the numbers anymore. It's now just officially in your house yeah. subtitle. In your house eight, but don't tell anyone. Ah. Just in your house. Beware of bulldog. <laughs> you because know, he might fuck up. You know often has been said about wrestling shows when like when it starts off well and then ends shitely or starts off with a couple of sheet matches but then ends in a really good main event where you can say, oh, it was a show of two halves. And no more is that ever evident than in the show we're about to talk about. Oh, yes. It's a, it's not even a show of two halves. It's a show of two different days. <laughs> yes. Because this is the the infamous one where a thunderstorm caused much of the matches to be shown in darkness for them to be retaped uh, two days later. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was very interesting. I mean, it, it showed... Uh, it really did show the flaw in WWF at the time. You know, like, I really did feel at the time that, that the whole fact that they recorded everything mm-hmm. rather than, you know, just put it out there. Yeah. You know, I feel that, that was a flaw in the company's part a lot of the time then, uh-huh. you know, because we saw, like, as from watching my tape and we saw the playback, uh-huh. especially the Savio Stone Cold match, uh-huh. Well, they were wrestling part of that in the dark, and some of the people you could see in the audience mm-hmm. were just sitting there going like, fuck is this? So what, 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 what was your version? Was your version similar to the network version in that it shows the two matches that uh, are in brightness and then cuts to where they taped the the, the other matches? Because that's what mine's was like. I believe my tape shows footage of dark matches, but it also shows, you know, it shows footage of some some of what happened. Yeah. And then it shows you the matches being shown again. Yeah, I mean, you know. on the network, it shows, like, the first match, goes cuts to a backstage interview, but then cuts to the main event, which is the only other match that was shown in brightness, and then cuts to the second, like, venue where they shot it. But they do show in the second take of Savio very also they do show, like, some a replay of... The match, and that's the most yeah, you yeah, see. Yeah, that's pretty but, much it on the network. And the network, that's pretty much all you see of the the darkness and the. But and then you can t- see you understand what WWF was trying to do with them yeah. continuing the matches in the dark because you know they're review it's live and everything they have yeah. to kind of go with it and all they can do. But you got to think Vince in these internally is 
proper was properly seething throughout much of that pay per view, especially when the lights yeah, went yeah. out and everything. It wasn't it wasn't that a power outage across the whole of that particular state at the time or that particular part of the state they were in. Yeah, and it, it was interesting because like this is like you don't think you've ever heard of like proper like technical issues in the WAF like on this scale really much after this. Yeah. I don't know if it was just because of the severity of the storm or maybe the quality of equipment they had at the time because business-wise, it's still not their strongest period. No, I think what it may have been, though, is Vince... In that time period, Vince didn't tend to make the same kind of silly mistakes like that twice. Mm-hmm. So I would assume that for the next big show they were doing, he would have... He would have done everything. He would have checked well reports. He would have checked. He would have had everything by the next one. Mm-hmm. You know, he would have had it set up, but everyone would have known what they were doing. He'd have had backup. Mm-hmm. You know, because maybe he would have had some backup generators. Yeah. You know, and because you know, we all know about Vincent Man. The one thing he hates, or one of many things he very much hates, a lot up there with likes of sneezing or whatever, is Vincent Man hates to be embarrassed and. Vince McMahon probably saw this as an embarrassment. He, he hates to be embarrassed. Yes. Has he seen the product he puts out recently? <laughs> and I'm he like, hates to be embarrassed? My God, that thing is a fucking shit show. <laughs> so, oh, and also, we you should hear mention... hear that, Vince? Yeah, useless old fuck nugget. Because Vince often unwinds at the end of a very long day. You know, after he's full two hours of sleep, he gets a night. Listening by listening to your podcast, maybe that's I've often stressed. Maybe that's Vince's issue. This whole insistence on two or three hours of sleep a night. Yeah, give him give him a seven hour sleep one night. He'll wake up and be have a clearer head than he's had in years. Nah, I think I think he sits at home weeping because of the the shade we throw at him. <laughs> God damn it! Why don't they like me? He he wishes we worked for him so he could go. You're fired. <laughs> He would hire us just to fire us. Yeah, yeah, he would. But I don't want to mind that. I would just say, I still get paid for the hours I was here. Tell you what, give us both a million each and we'll <laughs> stop saying mean things about you, Vince, <laughs> you silly old prick. But before we get into the actual show itself, we should mention we have made reference to this show in a very early episode uh, because Paul gave me this as a quiz question, <laughs> asking me what date this went down. Or like what show went down on X and gave me the date of one of the shows, and then you pulled me in with a trick question. Yeah, yeah, I did. Which even for me, and I like to think of myself as someone very knowledgeable about wrestling. You didn't know this one though. Yeah, but like, but then again, not a lot of people. I will, I will put you. I will get you back here and say not a lot of people do unless they're focused a lot on the early shows. I am, mm-hmm. so I I know this random, uh-huh. and it is just random shit. But I know it. I knew, I, I feel like it was we were a dog, the only thing I forgot was the fact it was over today, so, and plus I didn't think, I thought we were trying to, you know, one-up the other in terms of knowledge, I didn't think you were going to be throwing trick questions no, in there. I, I knew overall you would beat me with, because with, I knew you would throw your, your NXT pish in there. I did not throw NXT pish in there. I think at most out across both wrestling quizzes I've thrown in one NXT question. Okay, you put- I, I threw a question I didn't think you'd get, I said, what did Vader... Brock Lesnar and Easy Tales have in common. You, you managed to get the Raw IWGP World Champion. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah, no, but I didn't. But do you know, do you know also how I knew that? The same way I knew how to pass that photography cl- test. Mm-hmm. I just winged it. <laughs> you know, I thought, what have we all done? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, we've all done that. Yeah, is it that one? Mm-hmm. That was more of a sort of like, you know, that one. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, what's also? I, I know nothing. What's also? This was this done in South Carolina, and I don't know why, but I always assume this this was maybe a show done in Florida, because Florida is known at various points of the year for its like really bad storms. So maybe mm. it was just a case of you know bad timing for the company. But let's let me talk to you about the two venues that they did these these tapings. And let's I'll give you some background to how they done that and how they fixed it. Awesome. The original show was on May twenty six. 1996, obviously, uh, in front of 6,000 people in the Florence Civic Center in Florence, South Carolina, in a venue that seats 10,000 people. They got 6,000 in there. Well, I think it varies on events sometimes. I, I'm sorry, cut in here, but do you know that capacity venue nowadays would be seen as pathetic for the WWE? Mm-hmm. And yet, to me, the WWE itself seems pathetic. Well, it's interesting. We're in '96. That's 4,000 short of capacity. Uh, and I'm pretty sure like they're happy they didn't get an extra four thousand because you'd have an extra four thousand people who were annoyed because they couldn't see anything. But, <laughs> but it, I'm just saying, like, compare that to some of the shows we just talked about in '95. There were sometimes only a thousand or so of, or even a couple hundred short of, of filling them yeah. because they went to various arenas. Didn't you tell me though around about that time Vince did do that thing like, like selective placing of fans or selective lighting to make it look more full. Sometimes, yeah. On occasion. Or, or purposely taking venues with a set amount that they were confident they could probably sell out. Yeah. Or at least if they were a bit short, it still what, looked as if they did. What was that one one or two shows you told me they did that, like, selective lighting or placing? Because there was a I couple in 95, wasn't there? When I, they were... I cannot even think, yeah. to be honest with you. But it was, would probably have been in 95, because that was a rather low point for the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, the power went out. It was between. It's weird how they. Weird about a lot that the opening match and the uh, the main event are what is salvageable from the first attempt. Yeah. Everything in the middle is just boom, yeah. darkness. And they were redone two days later on a show titled uh, Beware of Dog 2. And on the Beware of Dog 2 event, where they, where they did, which basically they did replay all the first two matches and then went straight into. The yeah, other two matches. Yeah. They were also in North Carolina, uh, North Charleston Coliseum, uh, and they, t- they got 4,500 people. This is a- this is also taped in a Superstars, at the same time as a Superstars taping, <laughs> which, which if you watch Alex Superstars, you recognise the entranceway. Very much the antithesis of the big house set that they've got for the first time. And then there's this tiny little entrance ramp. Yeah. They've got no real frills. But then... Uh, Four thousand five hundred people. How many people? Do you, what do you think is the capacity for uh, for that venue they did the superstar taping in? Uh, between ten and fifteen thousand, maybe. Enough. It was a fourteen thousand capacity oh, venue. Right, you got four thousand five hundred people for the superstar taping, but then again, it's a TV taping. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't realize they'd switch commentators because uh, we spoiler the first two matches are called by Lawler and McMahon, who are we've come to expect as our pay per view contract team. I guess these guys were doing superstars at the time, so I didn't know about it. Uh, Mr. Perfect and JR yep. commentate the second half of the show. Uh, very interesting uh, commentary team. Like You didn't see mm-hmm. a lot of it, but I thought they were a good, mm-hmm. a reasonably good combo. You know? Yeah, and Perfect was doing a lot of that at this point, you know, commentary and uh, backstage interviewing. Yeah. He would be, I guess, referee at King of the Ring uh-huh. that, that same year as well, and then before eventually going to WCW by the end of the year. And or end of end sometime in ninety six started in ninety seven he went to WCW joined the NWO as former WWE guys weren't one to do yeah <laughs> but then he but then he joined the West Texas West Texas Rednecks and 
wrote a song called Rap is Crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I heard that was very, very popular at the time. Yeah, it was weird because they were maybe the heels, but realising WCW mainly runs in southern parts of the US that love country music, so they always got cheered. <laughs> but anyway, that's back to In Your House. This is weird. I don't know how true this is, but I have to go off the sources I read. Go on. The tagline for this show is simply, not not simply, you know, beware a dog or something, but a dog biting you or whatever. It just says it's Vader time. Yeah, I know why, though. Mm. Wasn't Vader supposed to be... No, no, I'm thinking of a different wrong. I'm thinking of no. It's Time. Yeah, It's Time was called that, because, and you think that would go along with the tagline, that, but this makes no sense. Vader is in a match race, is put over strong, over a former WWE champion... But it's not exactly the main attraction of the show, even though Vince likes his big men. He wanted this as a match at Mania. We've talked a bit before with Yoko. Oh, yeah, Yoko. yeah, yeah. So he wanted to also that as a Mania match, but I don't see why that was worthy of the tagline. Uh, and the uh, the Bayre, the people who bought the... I, mean, I don't know if this is also the people who bought uh, for the second attempt, but this is, I'm assuming, yeah. maybe this be the first one. The first attempt uh, in your house garnered a 0.45 Bayre which equates to 180,000 buys on pay-per-view. And 108, you said? 180. 180. Mm-hmm. So that, I, think, so I think it's actually better than the last two in your house. The last two in your house we talked about got 150,000 buys each. So it's a mild improvement, you know, by like 30,000 or so. I'm surprised by a lot only on the, the fact that the main event for the previous one... Mm-hmm. It's pretty solid. Oh yeah, it's pretty much right. solid. Good friends, but our enemies. That mm-hmm. Diesel and mm-hmm. Sean match was solid. It was a good entrance. You know, you could see the seething rage in Vince's <laughs> face when Diesel threw that big leather jacket on him. And uh, actually, the people who bought tickets for the first one, I uh, couldn't get the second one, but I don't think it matters because people there probably didn't know at the time it was going to be a TV. Yeah, maybe a, a taping of the pay-per-view they thought they were going for TV like the B show at the time so but the initial attempt got sixty garnered $63,435 through ticket sales it's not bad at all not, not a bad one yeah yeah so I think by the time the VHS and that came out we got a version that showed managed to show you all <laughs> the matches in a way that you could actually fucking see it yeah it seemed a lot more um, put together no it's also interesting though is they did the they aired the original pay-per-view with much of it if you're watching it live in darkness. And you've got Raw the next night where uh, Vince promises tomorrow night we'll have a special encore presentation and you'll get to see the matches you didn't get to see. But they do, they do a thing where mainly it's like four weeks of TV in between pay-per-views. Yeah. So, so they, and they usually take it all in bulk. So uh, by the time they've done, they take the last three matches of In Your House on the set on the Tuesday with, the, with Superstars, they've already taped... All of the build to King of the Ring, <laughs> which is which is weird when you think about it, because you got well, on the second attempt, you got the King of the Ring winner that year, you know, facing his feud. You got the continuation of Taker, My Mankind, yeah. and that. But then, if you'd watched, if you were at the Raw table, and then you watched the way we were done to, you kind of have an idea maybe of what was going to come. Yeah, which is a weird out of sync order when you think about it. Oh, where. Well. Well, were you really looking forward to getting into this one? Other than the fact that you know it's it's known for its kind of. I was looking forward to. I mean, it it is mostly known for the calamitous, like the sort of calamitous recording, blah blah blah, and quite frankly, a very woeful main event. But it's it's 
it's not a good show. Let's be let's be frank about that. It is far from a good show. I, but it is it does have little it does have little points which are you know, you can take you can take positives away from it. I d I don't I don't like to speak ill of the dead. Uh, as you know, even though he's no longer with us and he is in the Hall of Fame, you know, I feel like when critiquing like his performance match wise, I should be able to be frank here. No, and you I, can't. You can I'm sorry, cutting right, but and I also I agree with you. Not like R.I.P. Davy Boy, you know, and all that kind of thing. And as I've told you before, off off recording and on recording, when the man was on his game. Mm-hmm. At times, there was no one fucking better than the man. He was power, he was agile, he was fast, he was fucking good. Mm-hmm. And it, if his personal demons mm-hmm. could have been curtailed, the man could have been main event without fucking question. Because, like, next week we're going to have another <laughs> wrestling review and uh, we're going to be talking a lot about Bret Hartman, who's obviously not our favourite, mainly as a person, but as a wrestler, especially as we're going to talk about in that. Yeah, as, a, as yeah. a wrestler, he was a consummate professional. Yes, and a solid like technician, especially for the era he was coming up in. Yeah, he was a he was a consummate professional, mm-hmm. but he was also a professional dickhead. But what is very much overlooked, I think, about Brett's career and Davies as well is that just the importance to Davies' career that Brett had. Yeah, because a common denominator here: Bulldog main events in your house five and SummerSlam '92, both against Brett. Excellent matches. Main event in your house four against Diesel, and this was well. You can kind of call it the first half main event, given how the, the show worked out yeah. against Sean. Boring as fuck. <laughs> like yeah. it really, and it's not just always. Like I said Bulldog was one of those had to be the right opponent kind of people. And, and I'm kind. I've watched the King of the Ring by the way, '96 match. It's only I'd say it's marginally better, mainly because of the intrigue of. Of Mr. Perry being the referee, you know, was he going to get involved? He's going to screw Sean. Yeah, and can like I that. just point out, well, everyone, mm-hmm. no matter if they hated or loved him, mm-hmm. everyone always said Sean mm-hmm. was good to work with. He, he like, in ring, mm-hmm. he was professional. He knew where he was, knew what to do, knew how to work a match. Mm-hmm. He was, as negative as was, he was a little bit of a pissy bitch. Oh, yeah. And if you fucked up against him, he went and made it known. He was like Randy Orton in that regard. Yeah, I think in similar to Orton, if Sean was in the mood, which was rarer than Orton, then you could kind of tell and it would have faced points. And I don't think Sean was fully himself going into the match with Davey because obviously everything had went to shit with the night with obviously the last three matches preceding yeah. them going on where it had been in uh, darkness. And uh, Sean also has been well documented that during his reign of three champion... He his behaviour and his you know substance abuse kind of started to get worse because he put a lot of pressure on himself, especially after the NWO formed and WCW started kicking yeah. their ass, and he put that on but himself. But you see, a lot of people, a lot of people love to shit on Sean, right, and call him a dick and call him a prima donna, blah blah blah. Do you know what? Sean was the way he was because he was so fucking professional. Say what the fuck you want to say about the man's character and the man's ethic, okay? Mm-hmm. As a professional wrestler, the man was untouchable. Mm-hmm. He was a consummate fucking professional. And if you fucked up against him, even the tiniest little bit, he let you know it. Mm-hmm. He, yes, he let you know it by going crying like a little bitch to the boss man. <laughs> and what, what was Big Boss Man doing in there? <laughs> <laughs> but 
you know, he went, he went crying to Vinnie Mac and fucking, you know, ruined a lot of fucking potential pushes in the fucking... Well, we mentioned one already in Vader. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, Vader fucked up against him. Mm-hmm. And like I say, Vader fucked up a teeny little bit. <laughs> Sean lost his fucking cool. Years later, we've seen such a similar incident with Kofi and, Ran- and yeah. Randy. And Randy and Mr. Kennedy mm-hmm. and Randy and probably a few other people. Randy, in my opinion, is so like Sean and the fact that he is a he's so professional, he's a bitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? If you if you sneeze the wrong way when you're having a match with one of those two fuckers, you're gonna fucking know about it. Oh yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So anyone anyone and I'm talking to anyone who may be listening to is is a little commentator that likes to bitch about Sean and call him an asshole. You try doing what he does, or what he did, mm-hmm. and doing it to where Bill... I mean, Sean was on so many fucking things, he was a drunk. Oh, yeah. You know? But every time he got he got in the ring, would you know it? No. Because he was 100%. When he went between those ropes, he was a fucking pro. I did see... I've listened to a podcast... I listened to the Attitude Air podcast, where they've done their latest thing over the last year and a bit. Has been the kind of they doing a prequel to the attitude era where they go from Mania thirteen up to Mania fourteen and all about the year that precedes the official kickoff or seen as the official kickoff of the attitude era. They obviously yeah. did in your house uh, DX. We we should have a retrospective on the beginnings of Latitude Era because I, at mm-hmm. some point because I have a shitload to say about that. I'm sure you do, but And the fact that like what everyone thinks uh-huh. is the kickoff to Latitude Era and by the way, sorry Stone Cold, it won't you. <laughs> But you fucking baldy goon. <laughs> no, the kickoff to Latitude Era started with a man in gold. Mm-hmm. The kickoff to Latitude Era started when Sean turned into a bitch after Mania, uh, after SummerSlam '97. Mm. Summer, the fucking Latitude Era started long before Mania '14. Although so many people would love to fucking slab it all over Stone Cold's baldy head and say, it I, mean, I mean, some people would say that Montreal is the official start. Like official a, a, small, a small number of like Official start is when a man in gold started to touch people up and creep them out. <laughs> but as I was going to say, ah, yeah, their whole, they said on, they were reviewing In Your House DX, which we'll eventually get to as part of this series, uh, but they were talking about Sean, how like on TV, because you could sometimes tell maybe Sean, when he was talking, maybe a bit out of it. And, said, and like, uh, yeah, but then he went and they, they created his performance in the match. Yeah. And one of them kind of joked, you think he, gets, he got to the point where he said, how many of these pills can I pop and still put on a best performance? <laughs> yeah. I think one of the most glaring, like, I've seen it on a couple of the tapes I have where you can quite clearly tell Sean's a little south of sober, you know what I mean? I mean, look, there's a point in his, uh, he's run as champion for, in 96 for losing it. He said, I don't know where it's from, maybe it's from a Raw or whatever, but it was replayed a couple of times in uh, one of the WWF's uh, Monday Night War documentaries where yeah. Sean cannot be arsed when he does his entrance. He does his pose with the lights and he's giving this like, come on, come on. He almost does the, the wanker thing yeah, at one yeah. point as well. And he's like, he just could not be arsed. Oh, he just couldn't be fucked. You're like, look, I know I'm the man. Let's get through this shit. Yeah, yeah. Pomp sounds like pyro, pyro, pyro. Yeah, but one of the most glaring ones was uh, One Night Only. Uh-huh. When he was, when he had Sonny sitting on his lap, clearly out of his tits, and you could tell in his eyes, his his eyes were fucking scaly before they were scaly. <laughs> you know, and he's sitting there kind of flirting with Sonny and sort of sticking his head in her jugs and all that kind of shit. He goes, I was gonna say, his eyes wasn't wasn't lazy at that point. He didn't have the excuse. Are you staring at my tits? No, it's my eyes. So. <laughs> no, he was definitely staring at our tits. He was ready to fuck her, man. <laughs> Speaking of Sonny, he, he was waiting for the camera to go off so he could do a little bit of sweet 
sweet magic on that woman. But uh, speaking of Sunny, she was out there. She's maybe managing the Godwins in the free for all match against the Smoking yeah, Guns. Yeah, yeah. Or as Hunter herself to call them, Smoking Guns. Yeah, Sunny, Sunny in her little, her little hillbilly dress. Yeah, uh, and then Sunny, as we mentioned in the last year, uh, the Godwins would win the Titan Tales at Madison Square Garden House. So the very same house show that the Curtain Call incident happened at. <laughs> but then was quickly losing to the Smoking Guns here because. Phineas got distracted because he thinks that Sonny is in love with him, or at least she made him think that. Yeah. Then she makes it with Billy Gunn. He's oh, God, I'm like, huh? And then Bart Gunn sneaks around him. German suplex, the smoking guns win. And then Sonny goes off to be their manager as well, and they would have a, a rematch at King of the Ring. And I believe that the next in your house we see uh, Sonny's other former team, the Body Donuts, will get this place against yeah. smoking guns. And uh, I know maybe I shouldn't be proud of this, but I kind of am. I made this joke on the King of the Ring 96 show that I did for ESSR. And you know what? I'm I'm still happy with it. Uh, you should be, man. You should be. With it, I said about how like since Mania, for Mania just to this in your house, like uh, it wasn't like a month and a bit period. The tag titles after being vacated went go from Boy Donuts to the Godwins, then back to the Smoking Guns, and because that's pretty much to your tag division until Owen and Bulldog start yeah, doing yeah. a more regular basis. Thank Christ. Yeah, once Owen recovers from his his cast injury. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not nothing against the guns. Yeah, guns were solid. Guns you notice were... how I said the guns. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they were, they were solid. I had I had plenty wrong with the, with the Godwins. Well, the the face Godwins. Mm-hmm. Not nothing, nothing overly positive about heel Godwins, but they were a little better than face Godwins. At least they were fucking competent. But I said basically, I because Sunny managed all the teams because her whole thing was she wants to be the manager of somebody who has a championship. Yeah. So you can say that I'm the best manager in the WWF. Let, let's not forget she was the early manager of Farouk Assad as well. Mm-hmm. And, and then he quickly checked out the curb and then became nation for Thanks Christ. Yes. Because we all remember the gladiator outfits. <laughs> oh, Farouk even, even said that when he got the, the concept image shown to him by Vince, he laughed because he thought it was a joke. Yeah. And, he, and he's like, oh shit, you serious? Well, how, have you perchance... Uh, See, there's a an interview on YouTube, right? And I believe it's on some of my uh, raw tapes. Uh-huh. When Sonny comes out with Farouk Assad, right? Mm-hmm. Farouk, Ron Simmons is standing there. In this get up, he couldn't look more pissed off. And if he tried, mm-hmm. he, he was standing there going, "How long have I got?" He looked, he looks up and say, "How long have I got this on here looking like a cunt?" I know. Doesn't even they don't even explain why he's dressed like that <laughs> at yeah. all. It's Vinnie Mac's great intelligence. You're like, you're gonna be a gladiator because I said. But basically, my joke was how the belts were passed around. I said these these titles have been passed around more in the last month than Sunny has. <laughs> That's not possible. <laughs> <laughs> you know that joking family guy. Mm-hmm. So is there any tread left on the tires at all? Is it, at this point, is it like throwing a hot dog down a hallway. <laughs> it's like throwing a hot dog down a train tunnel in that one is fucking guess. Uh, she a hole. What's funny about this is I was looking at mostly dark matches for the show, like, as they usually do for these. And what's funny is Wikipedia credits the matches that get shown in darkness in the first half as dark matches as well. Yeah. Because they technically are. Yeah. But they do have a, a, quite a few dark matches, more than usual. Maybe they... And one of the, some of them were put in, in the middle of the show. Maybe they were throwing out extra matches uh, until the power came back on for the yeah. live crew. Yeah. And maybe they put someone after the show went off air just so the live crowd could see a match and maybe feel like they got their money's worth. But here's some of the dark matches we got. Bob Holly defeats Isaac Yankum. 
which is weird. Yeah. Jake Roberts defeats Justin Hawk Bradshaw. Fuck off, really? Yeah, and a match that I think went around a minute from a member of the match length. Ahmed Johnson defeats Jerry the King Lawler, and Ultimate Warrior defeats Owen Hart. Really? Yeah. Which Why? I imagine I imagine it was a very short match because Owen was maybe in, well he was I think he was injured but also both in real life and if he had that massive cast on his arm. Yeah, do you think that may have been one of Warrior's moments like I'm not one to lose. I'm the warrior. Meh. Probably. Oh, Pi- the, the, jet pilots and spaceships. Rawr. By the way, Warrior isn't on this show and we're not going to be able to have to talk about him in this series ever again. Yay. Well, we're going to kind of talk about him in the international incident, only because we need to talk about why he's not there. <laughs> because he does show up at King of the Ring, they set up the main event of international incident, which he's maybe a part of, yeah. and then he fucks off. So we'll wait till international incident to tell you but, why we haven't got Warrior anymore. But we can also say, and we'll wait to fully talk about it at international incident, but we've got such a better replacement than him. Yeah. Oh, Such a and we have to talk about the moment on Raw. If, you, if you've never seen this clip, I trust you. I am. I implore you to look it up. Of when the the partner, the replacement for yeah. Warrior, is revealed, and Jim Cornette's reaction to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. See what you want about Jim Cornette. But Jim Cornette has the best like body language and over the top facial expressions in the, <laughs> in the world of wrestling. Well, the, the secret partner had good facial expressions too. Mm. You know. Yeah, I get you. Yeah. <laughs> Lot, a lot he, of, he would say to Ultimate Warrior Favor Song that he is only half the man that he is. Oh, yeah, he is. <laughs> because, you know, he turned up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, he he won prestigious moments more than once. But, you know, this is another weird intro, guys. And I think I say that all the time with these WWF shows that you, we talk about. You really do. But, you know, I don't, I don't think you're... I don't think I don't want you to be right, but I don't think you're wrong a lot yeah. of the time because I have such a. I don't know if it's just because it's a, a great part of my childhood as yeah. such, but I have such a nostalgic. Um, try to think of the word. Yeah. I have such a nostalgic, you know, joy for yeah. these moments that a lot of the time, even when they are wrong, I can see no wrong because yeah. like this made me happy when I was a kid. But it's never due to quality. I think it, because. I think sometimes the tone feels like all over yeah. the place sometimes and especially in this one because the intro to this is uh, Sean like be, Sean, says, Sean Michaels and Vincent Mann praising oh they're all Michaels they're one of the greatest athletes in the WF history blah 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 yeah. and then this woman in a silhouette <laughs> this woman whose face you can't see you can hear going Sean Michaels is a homewrecker Sean oh, yeah, Michaels yeah. ruined my life that's, sorry, that's, that's a very accurate impression I believe of the, how this woman sounds uh, you mean she sounds like Diana Smith? Oh god! And, they, and then they basically the pro just talk about how allegedly Sean is trying to uh, hit on Diana Smith and ruin her marriage to and British Bulldog once again. Why? I know. Why was Bulldog even fucking? My- she was an ugly, ugly, ugly wooden personality missing bin. If you had <laughs> Sean feuding with Mark Merrill. And as I said before, I, I, I'm one of the people probably who didn't find Sable that attractive. No, she was an ugly bitch. But especially in 98 when she had more work done. But like, in... Ever. But like, I can see, or if like you had somebody who had Sonny as their manager and they made the same accusation towards Sean, that I'd believe. I don't believe for a second, even though it's clearly a lie because they're the heels and Sean's a good guy, yeah. that, that Sean would be going after Diana. And like... 
you got Sean in the parade. This is nothing more than character assassination, and I, for one, am sick of it. And you got fucking Clarence Mason in that trying to, you know, giving, uh, reading the right eye, like, how dare you're an adulterer, you're a fornicator, Sean Michaels. What? Sean's going, this is character assassination, do you really think I'd stick myself in that? <laughs> hey, no. <laughs> but, you know, it's a very weird way to build the feud, not just, you know, Camp Cornet want the belt in their grip, but no, it has to be about. And and Bulldog sells it as if he believes it's true. So in a way, you're like, why is Bulldog the bad guy if he believes if he's angry at this guy for potentially shagging his missus? Yeah, it's a very fucking like you say, very all over the place erratic. And it's, you're sitting there going, wait, so he's a bad guy? Because like I think I told you before, I think it was SummerSlam '92 that part of the reason Bulldog left one time, I think it was around '92, is a a guy threatened to sue him because this guy was kind of trying to chat up or. Seemed like he was being rude to Diana in a bar, and Davy was a bit pissed at the time. Mm. And Davy got very protective and pretty much battered the guy. Nearly put the guy in the hospital and that, and the guy then tried to sue. And then Davy thought that Davy was a liability. Plus, I'd heard that. Yeah, and then I think that's also the same time steroids were the steroid trial was starting to, to gather evidence. So I thought, but look, you already look suspicious enough because look at the size of you. Yeah. You're beating up people in bars. Get to fuck. Go to WCW for a while, then well, come back. If you noticed that when he did come back in '94, through to when he left again, mm-hmm. he did look a lot smaller than he had looked when he had his his mm-hmm. his, you know, his long hair, his his braids he had. Mm-hmm. Because just before he left, I remember one of his last major pay per view appearances before he left was at the Rumble '92. And my God, like, <laughs> see his promo where he was like, like doing the tip of like, I'm, I'm going to win the Royal Rumble. And then he did the thing. Mm-hmm. And you're like, Jesus, man, you, he was he was like Brian Cage kind of <laughs> Jack. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like, it was like Brian Cage Jack with John Cena's veins. He was like, Rah! you know, then, then we go into the uh the actual intro, like animated intro, which I always find funny because <laughs> the way they do. And this time they've got the in your house logo and a doghouse chasing after somebody who's trying to break in after they see a big fence with a sign that says, Beware of dogs. Yeah. I thought that was quite funny. Remind me again, did they have a little faggy song, this one as well? The In Your House. We're in your house tonight. We're in your house. I, I believe they do. I think that is pretty much the song for the majority of the run until. Maybe late in the end of 97, 98. This is the song. <laughs> Why are we singing this? We've got nothing. That's, that's actually more the In Your House 2 song. The, that one is more like, uh, what feels like, In Your House. <laughs> in Your House tonight. We're in your house. But then also we got Lawler and McMahon said, Run the in card. watch the shite. <laughs> and uh, our opening contest is Hunter Hurst Helmsley taking on Mark Meadow. And if you'd basically built around the fact that, oh, Sibo walked out the ring with me one time, but she's married to you, and I don't like that. Because I'm rich and I can get any woman I wish. I'm rich and you shouldn't be shagging somebody because I'm rich. Yeah. Even though in reality she's your wife, you know. Oh, it seems weird because like, there are all these rumours that part of the reason Rusev and Lana were split up once or twice was because Vince like saw that, found out that they were married and and he was just like, Vince couldn't get around the fact like, him is shagging her. Like, even though Rusev is quite handsome in his own right. Didn't know you saw him like that, Scott. No. See, <laughs> apparently Vince didn't didn't understand why Lana was with Rusev. No, Rusev, you know, and I, I don't know why he cut his hair. I think Miro is <laughs> not good with short hair. But Rusev, when he had his long hair and his big <laughs> his big Bulgarian shorts and shit, and he was all like <laughs> Rus- Rusev, Russian shit. Yeah. You know, I loved Rusev. <laughs> and then they decided to go and fuck him up by putting him in the League of Nations. I remember 
uh, after Bruno San Martino died, uh, Rusev told a story that he was backstage at the Hall of Fame one year and he met Bruno and Bruno liked his gimmick and he went, you know, if we had a guy like you, you know, Bulgarian, you know, back in my day, you and I probably could have sold out the garden hundreds of times, you and I. Because also he was from the era where the, the heel bad guy was a big thing. Do you know, if that is if a fact, mm-hmm. you know, I bet you Miro can go through his whole career mm-hmm. and probably just think, no matter what, I've got that. Mm-hmm. You know, I got respect for a legend. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, if, if I was in his shoes, like, mm-hmm. no matter what happened, I'd be uh, like, A, I got respect for one of the fucking major legends of this budget business, mm-hmm. and B, I'm hitting that. <laughs> Very much. You know? No, no what, he's mean, what he's mean, catchphrase, well, not catchphrase, but his mean thing is in AEW, he's the teenage champion, he's calling himself the Redeemer, said, I'm God's favourite champion, he said, I want to thank God for making me so strong and my wife so flexible. <laughs> <laughs> Just, uh, I know it's a little off topic. What is uh, Lana doing at the moment? Is she? I think she's pretty much focused on a non WWE stuff because she's got quite a following on like social media and oh, she's got a model like and stuff. An, so I think, an influencer kind of thing. I think I think she can actually make quite a bit of money out to that if she wants to do that, or she's she was an actress before going to WWE. So I think if she wants to go back into that, yeah, she can probably do that if she wants. Oh, so she's 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 set whatever she wants to do. Yeah, I think she's got the most secure path out after being released than many other people probably do. Yeah, well, that's a good thing. I mean, I I had respect for the woman. Yeah, I really did. I I didn't really rate her highly as an in ring performer. Yeah, I always thought she was better as a, like a manager <laughs> or. You know, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure a better company. Mm-hmm. You hear that WWE? I'm sure a better company could have done more with her in ring. Mm-hmm. Could have worked better with her. Mm-hmm. Made, you know how some companies can take little talent and mm-hmm. make it look mm-hmm. like it's big talent. Yeah. Talent warrior. <laughs> you know, tiny, tiny talent. Big, big money. <laughs> you know. Until he asks for big, big money, and then he is tiny, tiny talent out the door again, <laughs> you know. But no, I think, uh, like you say, Lana will be fine, and I'm happy to hear that like, she's doing well out with mm-hmm. the clutches of that shit show. So yeah, back to the match. Uh, nearly five minutes, and we've not even talked about the first match. But uh, <laughs> Mark, but also we show we've seen footage of Mark Merrill getting attacked by Bob Backlund randomly on Superstars. He gets locked in the crossface. Chicken wing and people, people trying to pull him away. And uh, when the Triple H takes advantage, comes in, hits him with a pedigree, and they really put over the pedigree. Like, and Doc Hendricks says to Mero backstage, oh, What are you going to do if you find yourself in a position to get hit with a devastating pedigree? And I'm thinking, they, they seem like this is a case of, like, We're sorry that while you're buried, you're moving. we're going to do everything we can to make it seem like a big deal again. Hell yeah. It seems like what they're trying to do, they're trying to put their pedigree over to get people get forget forget the fact that Warrior kicked out of it. Hello. Saying that, mm-hmm. a lot of people, I've read quite a lot of stuff in regards to that particular thing, and JR mm-hmm. and lots of other people from the time say that Hunter was nothing but 100% professional, he knew it was going to happen, he knew Warrior was a fuck nugget, but he was like, also he was like, I know I'm coming off the whole mm-hmm. carry on, mm-hmm. blah blah blah, mm-hmm. so he he done what a lot of professionals do. He took mm-hmm. it like a man. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he knew Warrior was going to be an unreasonable mm-hmm. fuck and just went with it. Yeah. And but he, him he, himself, and sorry to cut in again, sure, but no, sure. 
Hunter himself has said he's never worked with anybody more unprofessional than the Ultimate Warrior. And like, I think he was fine with losing. I think he just didn't want, he just didn't like the pedigree spot. And even Gerald Briscoe was the, I think, the agent in the match. And he, we said before in their main year 12, he went with him to basically plead the Ultimate Warrior, like, don't bury his fucking finisher. And Warrior was just set on, set on what he wanted. And yeah. I, I do love it. One thing about Jerry Law, I do obviously have fond memories of Jerry Law as a commentator for my children and everything. Oh, hell yeah. But. The one thing that does get on me about Waller that is what something that I think commentators like Bobby Heenan and uh, Jerry, Paul Heyman when he was a commentator they can be heels they don't have to totally side with someone just because they're here they can also put over faces at times as well yeah uh, because you know 98-99 Lawler's fucking slabbering all over Sable but then here he's just coming up with all these reasons why he thinks that Sable's unattractive in here and like, I made a note of this one line he said I heard they filmed Gorillas in the Mist in her shower I remember that one, yeah. And then he's then randomly the woman that the valley that Hunter would often have a different one every every evening. Yeah. Uh, and then she's randomly sat next to the commentators and Dear Lola's trying to interview her and talk to her and how how great Hunter Sales is. She's just staring blank like I was not told I'd have to speak on TV. Like, <laughs> like she almost had the look of like blink twice if you're being held here against your will. <laughs> That's very true. It is very true. It's very true. But. I I don't mean to speak ill of Jerry, right? But yeah. I think at times, and I know this was it's all scripted, blah blah blah. Yeah. But he got so into his pervert mm-hmm. heel king guy. Like I I do at times think that some people that were not a hundred percent in the know mm-hmm. could have been made to feel just touch uncomfortable with Jerry because you know you got a. Let's face it, a dirty old man leering at you like mm-hmm. that. You're gonna feel a touch. Icky. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He was he was far too into. It. I, I yeah. definitely agree. Because I mean, I know we're living in this era now, <laughs> you know, of everyone being woke little bitches. But even you have you have to have limits, you know. Yeah, you have to have limits. And like, I, I think one of the things that is not missed from the attitude era is definitely the, you know, the overt perviness of certain people. He's that uncle in the family that when you take them visit, like. I do not want you hear you repeating anything that Uncle Jerry says here. Like out with you, visit. Like he might say some inappropriate things. That does not mean you repeat them out with him. Or if you're taking your young, like you know, your young twenty-something mm-hmm. girlfriend, you're mm-hmm. like, don't sit down near my uncle. He's, he's weird. Aye. If he offers you a drink, don't take it. Yeah, don't don't take it. It'll Bill Cosby you. <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly, and do you know what? I mean, I, I, and I mean allegedly is in allegedly Daryl Lollard was up to the thing. Not allegedly in terms of Bill Cosby. Cosby definitely did it. Hey, he got out. Anyway, moving on to uh, Mark Merrill. You know, I think quite under underappreciated at times. A lot is Mark Merrill. You know, very the, much so. I mean, and his King of the Ring '96 match, he took that stunner like a bitch. Oh yeah, Austin uh, Merrill was, I think, pretty much match the night contender for, uh, for oh, King of yeah, the Ring '96, yeah, yeah. and this was a solid match. I think you could tell the outcome because between now and remember, October, November time. Triple H takes a lot of losses because of the curtain call, basically. Or as he puts it in, in one of his documentaries, yeah. he said, uh, I was told, you're going to have to like, learn to like the taste of shit because you're going to be eating a lot of it. Yeah, I'd heard that one. Mm-hmm. Romero, you know, takes it to Triple H before the, he's even got his, Triple H hasn't even got his jacket off, you know. How's he going to feel the benefit when he goes outside? Yeah. <laughs> he's launch it outside. I think when he comes back from his injury, remember, sometime in 1997, he, uh, he comes back as a boxing gimmick because he didn't he didn't do a lot of his high flying. I think once he stopped being able to do the high flying stuff is when 
Mark's Mark's career all really took a dip in terms of his match quality and not just because yeah. he's booking and everything. I don't I don't like what they did with him though. <laughs> because I feel even though he he was not, not capable <laughs> of doing what he'd done. Mm-hmm. We could have still kept him as a good face. Yeah. Because, like, imagine he keeps doing that style, right? I don't know how much he weighed, but maybe if he was a bit over, he could have trimmed down a bit. What, Meryl? My Meryl. Like, it, it was always seemed to me like a very lean. I, I'm trying to think, would he have been able to fit into the light heavyweight division if he'd been, if they'd brought in a, a title in a year you know, earlier, or if he was, if he stayed in that shape and didn't get injured? Well, like, wrestling against the likes of, like, Aguilar and Brian Christopher so and like, Taka and Well, like, because, like, you think a few months after he comes in, they bring in two called Scorpio slash Flash Funk. Yeah. And... They, would, they two were doing kind of high flying moves in '96 at Nolo people seen because like you hear the reaction whenever Meryl hits the shooting star. Yeah, and that was yeah. not something honestly that a lot he, of people. He was seen. very good at that. Yeah, I think he was one of the main people doing it in the US because also it was invented by Jushin Liger in Japan and everything. But he was doing it in WCW and yeah. everything. Like and a lot of the thing that got him over in WCW was like his high flying stuff when he was Johnny B. Bad. Yeah, and then you see how the crowd reacts to him here. You know, he wasn't loves- wasn't it the only reason it was Mark Merrill? Was that Vince couldn't get the rights to Johnny B. Bad? Aye. Because that's what he wanted. He aye, saw he want- him in WCW and said, I want Johnny B. Bad. And like, well, you can't have Johnny B. Bad. Like, uh, we got him, like, yeah, but like, you can't have Johnny B. Bad. You got Mark Meadow. Like, you wanted the character, not as more than the man behind the character. I yeah, think. that was Vince's folly a lot of the time, though. Mm-hmm. Anyway, like I said, he launched himself to the outside. Uh, he takes it to Triple H, but then I'm going to call him Triple H here because, you know, like, the, tri- the H's stand for Hunter Hill Silences. I'm just fucking calling him Triple H. Yeah, it makes it easier well, you could just say Hunter or Helmsley I'm just saying like because if this is your first time listening to this uh, do one of our in your house reviews then I'm just letting you know that you mean, you mean there's some people out here that do not know that he was once with Connecticut Blue Mods I'm saying some people might just listen to our podcast out of order maybe and not be I'm like why are you calling him Triple H he's called Hunter S. Helmsley what do you think the H's stand for you morons do you, do you know and this is just a teeny bit off topic only a teeny bit, you know, I'll tell you 45 minutes in. But I, I do hope, I do so desperately hope, mm-hmm. and considering I watch a lot of YouTube videos that rip the piss out of silly flat earthers, <laughs> those freaks have followers, right? Yeah. Avid followers, mm-hmm. and they talk crap. Yeah. I'm hopeful that mm-hmm. somewhere out there that we have that one fan... <laughs> that listens to everything we put out and loves us. Because if, if that particular fan exists out there, mm-hmm. male or female, whatever, I don't give a fuck, mm-hmm. if you exist out there, fan, we love you. We appreciate you, man. Or missus, or whatever the fuck. We love you. Isn't it funny how after oh, three and a bit years of doing this, we're just happy to have one person listen to us? Isn't that funny? I don't think that's funny. I think... I think Appreciation for your listener no, no, base is good. I think it's just a case of like we're happy just to have someone listening as long as even if it's just one person. I think we're happy just having fun. Yeah, yeah. you know we we enjoy it. We appreciate whoever takes the time to listen to us. So Mark Mayo gets sent into the ring post, <laughs> and, and the momentum swings into Triple H's favor. Uh, he goes sitting in shoulder first, and then that's when Triple H starts to Beat go him. after go after him. He starts slamming it into the ring post. He's Locking in an armbar, much yeah. more technical. Because like when Triple H basically built some more muscle mass, I'll say. Yeah. He was not as technical. And like, remember when we did Rumble 2001 review when he was locking in that Indian death lock at one point? Yeah. We were very surprised by that. But then you watch him back here and he's putting in submission holes like the arm, cross armbar and everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I think that was a lot also like... 
I think that's a lot to do with Vince as well. Like Vince, like we talked briefly just a moment ago about how Vince had a habit of lusting after a character as opposed to the ability of the man, right? Yeah. So, although Triple H may have had that in his arsenal, mm-hmm. Vince would have been like, well, yeah, I don't want you to do that, you know? Yeah, like- I want you to be this Connecticut blue blood that does all these punches and pedigrees and shit. Yeah, because like, Hogan, there's been footage of Hogan in Japan where he's busting at arm bars and all sorts of things. And you look at him like, why couldn't you do that in the WF? But you know, his, his, he was of a character, you know, have your five moves, including the finger points. Yeah, and the, and the, and the, ooh, the hulking up. The you. I loved the you. <laughs> Especially when he, see on the occasions when he was kind of sweaty and bloody. Yeah. And he would go, ooh. <laughs> and his hair would go that funny yellow way like Lick Fair's hair always went. Uh huh. You know, because when, when he was... Well, when was he not bleeding? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Flair gets a male paper cut. He's just... He's, he's gushing blood like, ah! He's wearing a crimson mask! Like, I remember, like, as somebody who watched a lot of, like, Triple H's running on top of his ruthless aggression, you know, fucking he and Sean took every fucking opportunity to play. So, uh... Yeah. Fuck. Mm-hmm. I think part of the reason Triple H plays so much is because he's he's so clearly a fan of the likes of Flair. Yeah. Even to the point where I think even Evolution is, and even though it's one of my favorite of all time factions, it is very much a, a his take on the Four Horsemen. But anyway, that's beside the point. Yeah. yeah. So he's, Vince does kind of foreshadow the issues that will plague the show when he mentions, "Oh, you had some weather issues uh, today," and like <laughs> yeah. both some on ominous foreshadowing. Mero does get a really cool roll up before then, which obviously immediately kicks out of it, gets back up and clotheslines him to fuck. Just <laughs> <laughs> immediately it's it. Uh, he got he goes on another submission to him, and all the while like a sneaky Triple H holding the ropes. Every time the referee uh, goes to look right and he lets go, like I'm not doing anything. Yeah, what? I, what? I done nothing. Fuck you. Like friend, not touching. Can't get mad. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think he does like three times, and on the third time he gets caught. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, Meryl does start fight back, does another die to outside, uh, but I think Triple H moves out of the way, and you can't tell if it's really good selling his part or if he's legit fucked his leg, because he properly is like... Yeah, and you, yeah. And you see the way he comes down on it, especially when they slow down the replay. Yeah. Like, oh. Occasionally you wonder about that. I mean, I've seen that, and this is, this is going to another show, but the recent uh, Impact show, uh-huh. when it was Matt Cardona against uh, Brian, Myers. Brian Myers, and he came down on that knee funny, man. Mm-hmm. And when myself and Brian were watching that, we seen him come down that knee, and I swear to God, we all went, yeah, you know, because when you when you see a big man like that come down straight, and his knee goes over that way, uh-huh. you're like, oh no, 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 <laughs> like, your knee's not supposed to do that. Like they show part of it, this footage in that old uh, "Don't Try His Own," but I don't know if you ever seen like the way John Cena's knee, yeah, when he yeah, gets thrown it by Big yeah, Show in the four rumble. Yeah. Like, you think, Jesus, like, that was very close to a Sid territory there, the way he's in, like, bends behind him. Yeah, oh, it's bad. And you think he, and he's back in the ring three weeks later. Even back then, Cena would never stay away from... Well, let's be honest, as, as much as he was a polarising figure as <laughs> such, the man was a fucking machine. I know. Nero then does more of that offence I mentioned to you, like, yeah. that even though it seems kind of basic <laughs> to us, in 96, the crowd is still popping huge for it, like, does the hurricane run off the top, the head scissors and the... Because a close two count after a sunset flip, then Triple H again takes back control because all the while Mero's remembering to 
sell the the, the arm that you yeah. did. I was gonna say right arm, but I can't remember. I just put the arm in my notes. So You're just remember. selling the arm. At least he's remembered which one it is. It's definitely the same one he was being under because sometimes wrestlers he make you like, oh, he's worked this arm, but then selling for good. I can't remember which one, so I'm gonna sell the opposite arm because sometimes wrestlers are silly. Yeah. Or some people, sometimes wrestlers sell an injury like Hulk Hogan sell that injured knee at WrestleMania 6. Mm-hmm. You know, for all of two seconds. Yeah. And Triple H thinking, like, what's the hit the pedigree? And then Triple H, obviously, he's got to lose uh, because, again, he's being punished. But he's then makes himself look like a great tit because he wants Sable to be looking and Sable's like, oh, no, over dramatic. I can't look at this. Yeah. And then he's yelling at her to look. And then he goes back into the. He didn't, but with time on the outside, you're yelling at her. Yeah. Goes back into the ring. Goes for the pedigree, but Meryl gets, gets him, then slingshots him over the turnbuckle, right off the ring post. And then doesn't even do a move, he just pins him there because they say, oh, he's knocked it. Yeah. Meryl gets the win, 16 minutes, 23. That went. So, even though, even though Hunter took the loss, mm-hmm. you can still say a pretty reasonable match. You know, I mean, made, made Meryl look strong, made Hunter eat shit like Vince wanted him to. Yeah, and like, he did lose to some weird... Like characters like of the new gen, like Barry Windham being brought back in as a stalker, he once lost to an episode of Raw, or like characters like that. But like, this is one of the situations where it wasn't didn't really hurt him to lose because you no, know, Meadows coming in clearly, Vince at this point it still is very much behind him, yeah. And so he's gonna have been used as that guy to help get Meadow over. And I think, in a way, like even though Quade were kind of silent when Triple H wasn't often, when Meadow was coming back and making his comeback. People were making a lot of noise, so yeah. So Meryl was getting over, and so Triple H was being doing an effective job. I think. I think so too, and I think if you think if you think about it, around about the time this happened, mm-hmm. I think that it was it was on the turn line. You know, yeah. he wasn't just being fed to losers; he was mm-hmm. being used to. He was being made strong. He was being looked strong in a match, still mm-hmm. losing, but at least he was being made look strong and put into like lengthy 10, 15 minute matches, you know, make mm-hmm. them look competent, like you talk about arm bars, mm-hmm. talk about them getting a lot of the offence in the match, you know, he looked strong, mm-hmm. he ultimately lost through stupid shit, but he still looked strong, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so I, th- I think at this time period it was on the turn where Vince is going like, maybe maybe I've made him eat enough crap just now, maybe we can, you know, we can turn this shit around, and like you said at the start of it, about mm-hmm. like, uh, Doc Hendricks talking about the devastation of the pedigree, mm-hmm. blah blah blah. You know. Uh-huh. So uh, and also Triple H, part of his punishment was like the King of the Ring. He was made to win that, but then you know, he does qualify for the tournament, but loses in the first round to Jake Roberts. Yeah. So who you can say you know he got to the final, so there's nothing wrong with that. But this is not peak Jake Roberts, as no. we as we've already mentioned. And peak Jake Roberts was barely peak Jake Roberts. Man. Yeah. Uh, we get a backstage interview uh, with Tim Cornette and along with Clarence Mason, Diana, uh, Owen and Bulldog and <laughs> Cornette says that he's not going to be at ringside because, you know, he has to he has to worry about Yokozuna, you know, his match with Vader. Yeah. So he, get, he says, for one night only, I have got a South Carolina's manager's license and he gives it to Owen Hart so that Owen Hart has the right to be at ringside yeah. for, for Davies' match. And, you know, also... If you listen closely in the background at the end of the interview, you can hear the ringmaster or the early Stone Cold Steve Austin music because I believe that was maybe coming up next. Yeah. Then obviously they don't show. They cut right to the arena of a uh, McMahon and uh, Ken going into the main event 
because obviously everything went to shit. And so at that point, you got them profusely apologising, you know, oh, sorry about the technical issues and everything and, and all that, oh, what a night we've had here and everything. Because <laughs> if you were just finding this on the network and you didn't know about the issues, then you'd be very confused. Yeah, you'd be like, huh? Yeah. Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Obviously, Bulldog versus HBK, first half main event, you can call it, for the WWF Championship. Yeah. I'll send around the whole thing about Diana. We had statements from that mystery woman who... We saw in the intro page on episode of Raw where she was billed as the, the wife of a former superstar. We don't get told to, but basically, she's like, <laughs> oh, my wife, my life was ruined, my marriage was ruined by Shawn Michaels. Like, maybe yeah, you shagged him. You she admitted w- that you shagged him. She was Diana's stunt double. She was there <laughs> to try and make her look interesting. And also, to help further discredit uh, Shawn Michaels, they went to the most trustworthy source of all, Marty Janetti, where Marty basically came out and basically said, Oh yeah, I remember Sean always did a thing for married women and everything when we were when we were on the road. And everything. Marty looked drunk during that interview. I know. And then before the match starts, Clarence Mason gives a a summons to Sean Michaels for alienation of affections that he's, and then Sean Michaels just takes the the the, war, the summons and just tears it up right in the middle of the ring. <laughs> Uh, does not give a fuck and Bulldog then gets to jump on Sean but then immediately gets sent to the outside yep and there was a point where I I kind of felt like I checked out or I, I wasn't paying attention because I was looking at my phone and I thought huh I must have missed something because they went into a wrestle I must have missed something let's get back a little bit I've missed fuck all no you hadn't I was about I, I didn't want to I didn't want to ruin your steamware you know what I mean but no you missed nothing I even put my notes, both men getting long, and I put in then all cats with two exclamations, long rest holds. Like, both men get a chance to do really long headlocks, and to the point where I'm sitting in my room by myself, and I yell at my television, something happened. It's, you know that episode of Family Guy where Brian's taking and a blind guy to Exactly the, what I was going to th- yeah. say. Nothing's happening, nothing's happening, nothing's happening, it's over. Everybody looks pissed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but oh my god, looks clearly annoyed that he's going out to wrestle after three matches that have been put into fucking darkness. Yeah, Bulldog. He goes for a crucifix, but Mick Bulldog counters into a Samoan drop, which is uh, it's more exciting than half the shit they've been else doing. Had happened. Mm-hmm. Were you were you sitting watching that? Going, oh, something's happened. A wrestling move. <laughs> You're sitting to the the barricade on the outside, and uh, to try and create some intrigue, Earl Hebner gets a. Uh, Gets knocked down to the outside. Of course he did. Owen tries to get involved. Sean, without barely even looking at him, just hits a casual sweet chin music. Right? <laughs> casual right there. He doesn't even do like the big, like, like when he's tuning at the band, he's just done in there. Owen comes down in the corner and Sean just casually just, fuck off. <laughs> You're like, it's what the fly. Yeah. Fuck off, dick. Mm. We need we need to get this shit show finished. Go away. I know, and if, as if people probably there weren't, I heard, paid their money to buy the pay-per-view, weren't annoyed enough. Then they do the finish. Yeah. I know, what the hell is with that finish, man? Well, well they think, well, we want to build to uh, a rematch for King of the Ring. Yeah. But, like, this is the best you can come up with. Have have Sean... And clearly, Sean had put him into, like, a, like a, like a suplex plane, right? Mm-hmm. You know? No, it was not Bulldog that hit the suplex. But no. they claim that Sean kicked out. Sean hit a... Mm-hmm. suplex on him mm-hmm. Sean had him yeah like yeah. down in that pin mm-hmm. now 
any rancher worth his salt, especially Shawn Michaels, knows you got to bridge. Yeah. You know? You know you've got to bridge so your shoulders aren't on the mat. Like, even... Sean just... Sean just lay flat. Like, even Ric Flair, sometimes he'd log in the figure four, but then he'd lie back, and every he would sometimes get so Flair would have to remember to sit up yeah. when he's applying the figure four, because he, no matter what the situation is, if you're on the offense or the defense, your shoulders are down, the referee's going to be counting. Yeah, but fundamentals of wrestling, you got to bridge. You know, you got to make sure your shoulders ain't on the mat, and Sean just went flat down... Mm-hmm. And you know that sort of way is obvious. Mm-hmm. Sean's shoulders are flat down. Bulldog's flat down. Yeah. Both referees aisle or side. Because the new referee comes in, he's counting. Yeah, Tim White other, is one side. and Earl Hebner kind of slides back in the ring looking groggy. He's counting from the other yeah. side. I think the other one's Tim White. I can't it? remember. But anyway, the other guy's in and they're both giving it the... Mm-hmm. Both count both men. Yeah. You know? But that's the thing, like you said, both men's shoulders are clearly down, no matter, what, no matter how many different angles they showed it. They didn't even, like, because Lawler tries to imply that Bulldog kicked out, but the, neither man moves. Like, you couldn't even have one of them look like they were no, just attempting to kick Sean out. Sean just germined them, put them down, the two of them just lay there like a sack of fucking potatoes. So both lay there like, oh, fuck, I can't be fucked, let's just get this over with. Yeah, let's, we've, we've made this, we've went and worked this as much as we can, let's finish it. And then, no con- answer, no contest. 17 minutes and 21 seconds. And all, all of that, about three or four minutes of it was watchable. Like 40% at least was fucking rest holds. And, yeah, I mean, yeah. Sometimes, like you said, headlocks and rest holds. And sometimes people get you know, annoyed when there's like a headlock in a match because you'll see the rest holds. But sometimes it can be used effectively. But clearly there are times where you can tell somebody's just there like, and rest. And we're, and we're headlocked. And we're... Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. I'll dare to Neil Dashwood <laughs> noogie. <laughs> a noogie would have been appreciated. Something loose would have happened. But then they bring they play Bulldog's music very similar to like the fucking finish to Nut Rumble '95 when remember Bulldog's music plays <laughs> and then Sean comes back. Yeah, in. I remember that. That so was like, funny. So like, obviously Bulldog's music plays. And then they, Tim White is raising his hand or whoever it was, and then Neil Hebert says no. Raises Sean's the, hand, and then his music's playing. Where was that ugly lesbian librarian scab going with the belt? Exactly. Otherwise known as Diana. And it was only and that was after Sean's music was played, but then they were still disputing, so there wasn't a clear winner. But she's, she's just buggers off. She's wandering off with a belt, and then fucking Gorilla Monsoon comes out and goes, oh, ugly skink. Back to the fucking ring, you dog-faced bitch. Of course, he never said that. I said no, that. Not in those words, you know. I'm pretty sure Girl One Soon would uh, would find some more elegant way of saying. Oh, yeah. ugly! Fuck off! Back to the ring. Is that eloquent enough? <laughs> Maybe. But then she holds it up. She holds it upside down. She great Callie's it because remember yeah. Great Callie when, when he won the world title. She, held it upside she holds down. it up. Girl goes at least hold it in front of your face for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> holds it. She holds it up and like like. I just want somebody to just air context put that up. Ah, oh, remember that time Diana Smith won the Diana Hart Smith won the the WWF championship. It held it upside down. Yeah. And like so Girl Monsoon comes out and basically says it's a no contest, but they, they make sure to emphasize but Shawn Michaels is still the champion, so it gets a bit of a pot, so like, oh well we're sorry we wasted your time and everything, but look, the good guy's still the champion, eh? Yay. Technically a win. Do you know Rules Do you know what my favourite moment in all of wrestling with my favourite moment with her mm-hmm. is the look on her face when Sean and Hunter and China and Rude were all brutally assaulting her husband in the middle of the ring. And when Sean walks over to that goddamn corner and goes, 
Diana, my sweet, this is for you. And throws her, throws her his knee brace. <laughs> All the while, hunters in the ring going, scream for your country, bulldog. Scream. <laughs> that made me chuckle. Because I'm weird. Weird like that. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I like to see bulldogs suffer. Mm-hmm. Anyway, after that, we get we get transitioned into part two of Beware of Dog. Now with JR and Mr. Perfect as our commentator team. Hurrah! <laughs> they were forced to do part two and there was much rejoicing. Mm. So, we got a good match in part one with the opener, I thought. And then we got a shit match. <laughs> it, it was. It was, it was. it was fucking... It was dire. It was absolutely fucking dire. Well, let's get into it. Go on. Part two. Part two. <laughs> and, you know, starting off strong, uh, Caribbean strap match, Savio Vega taking on Stone Cold Steve Austin. No longer the ringmaster, he's just with, Stone Cold Steve Austin. With the now stipulation that if Savio loses, he becomes the million-dollar man's chauffeur. Mm-hmm. If uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, a.k.a. the ringmaster at the time, mm-hmm. loses the match, then the million-dollar man, and he states this in the, the pre-match promo, he's like... I am I am so confident that the ringmaster is going to win this match, but if he loses, I will leave with WWF. You hear that, Vince McMahon? And, like, they show that I was on the Raw in between, so, like, they're they're trying to say, we're sorry, but look, we've we've added some stakes to the match tomorrow night, uh, basically, for yeah. Emily. And also even gives them, like, a slight look as if he's like, wait, what, you're, you're going to leave? Like, we didn't discuss this. <laughs> even though, then really, he said, like, he had great respect for DiBiase, but... Didn't want a manager at the time. Yeah. Someone called that he was probably happy with, with this, and DBS had wanted out of the company anyway. Yeah. Mr. Perfect questions, you know, the outcome of the, the in your house, first in your house match, saying, like, well, it was very dark. How do we, how can we be really sure that Savio won, basically? <laughs> Which I just love that kind of logic from him. And also, they, they say this is the first ever Caribbean strap match, but they claim that, oh, Savio's been in lots of these, you know, this is his match. He's undefeated. They claim Savio Vega is. 31 and 0 in Caribbean strap matches. Of course he's undefeated because they hadn't had one yet. I know. Like, I just, I just love how, <laughs> I just love how they, like, Clash WWF over the years, just, I think it's on me bubble. This person's from outside, these people won't know who he is, so, let's yeah. just, we can tell you any information about him and this type of match that we want and you'll probably believe it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know what? Well, Austin does a bit where he's like whipping. He's got the strap. He's whipping at Savio when he tries to get in the ring and won't let him get in the bloody ring. Yeah, I I'll be honest. Strap matches at times can be like hit or miss for me. Sometimes it very much depends on who's involved. Yeah, but I think these two did as good a job as you can. With no, we did. We did the utmost with what we could. Mm-hmm. You know, what what can you really do? Mm-hmm. With a strap match, you know, a uh-huh. Caribbean strap match. Look, you know the ultimate, like, a Caribbean strap match to me is a lot like the culmination of a classic Hulk Hogan match. Yeah. You know what's coming. It's just a case that is how we get to what's coming going to be a slight bit different to what usual is. <laughs> you know? yeah. And let's be, as you say, like, the first Caribbean strap match, <clears throat> we definitely made it interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, like the culmination of the match was bog standard as all Caribbean stat matches have been. Mm-hmm. But the match itself was good quality, I thought. Yeah. You know, because they, they made sorry. No, no, no. Cutting. I think I think I was. I don't think I was cutting in there. Well, 
Well, I, 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 I misread. You thinking you were finished? <laughs> misread my cue, man. No, but <laughs> Savio was made look reasonably strong. Stone Cold wasn't made mm-hmm. look weak mm-hmm. because I think even at that point, Vince had great ideas for the man. You mm-hmm. know, you know, he could see something in him. But I was happy that Savio get made look strong, and I would, I. Probably one of the people that would have liked it. Savio's character at the time, you know, Savio Vega, Caribbean mm-hmm. guy. I don't, <laughs> you know, I just don't, you know, like this singular, like, so just fan that. favorite Caribbean, like, proud mm-hmm. Caribbean yeah. guy, like, Cuban yeah. guy, you know, proud Cuban national guy. <laughs> I liked him, mm-hmm. you know, I even, when I was a young guy, you know my wrestling figure collection in yeah. there? Did I ever tell you that one of the reasons that I have two bushwhackers and one of them were all painted up is because I got one and then got model paint when I was younger and tried to make a Savio Vega oh. because I couldn't buy a Savio Vega. And I thought in my childlike wisdom, I thought, well, if they won't sell me one, I will fucking make one. That's fair enough. You know, and I figured, well, what, what, what wrestling figure have I got that looks a bit like the same shape as Savio Vega? Mm-hmm. That one will do. Yeah, that'll do. <laughs> that'll do. I ended up, though, in fairness, making them look like a worse version of the Brooklyn Brawler, but <laughs> the only thing that's even Savio Vega like is the fact that I put a wee tiny S and V on the back of the jeans. See, with Savio, I think <coughs> there are times where you can actually see that he's more over than people might have remembered him, and this one is, is one of those things. The crowd are very hot for, for Savio in this match, yeah. and it wouldn't be. The last Caribbean Strat match we see, he would have one later in 96 against the... Uh, Justin Hawk Bradshaw. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, I like to think, I can't confirm this for definite, but I'd like to think this is maybe early on in the tapings that they did, because I've heard those superstar tapings back in the day could go on for fucking hours. Oh, they could. Yeah. They could. And so I like to imagine this is early on so that the crowd can be as hyped up for these matches, because these were meant to be on pay-per-view matches. Yeah. So you think they'd be hyped up, because the crowd are yeah. hot for, for Savio at, at points in this match. And also, I think with Austin as the heel going this, I know a lot of people criticise his heel run in 2001, oh, he should never have turned everything, but what you see from this heel run here, especially in this match, is that the viciousness behind the Stone Cold character, especially the way that Austin described his concept for the early Stone Cold when he was watching that, that documentary about the serial killer called the Iceman, yeah. how cold and calculated he was. And you see that with Austin here. Like he tries to fucking hang Savio with the strap yeah. at one point. Yeah. That's very, this is in the still very family friendly WWF in 96. Yeah. That is quite an image to see. And like they're also they're whipping each other. They do, they go back to a lot of the like old traits. You can, you know, they do a bit where one of them's on the outside and they pull the other in. Or I think Savio was on, no, Austin was on the outside. Savio pulled on him so he could send Austin rib first into the apron, which is quite cool. Also yeah. was on the top. And Savio on the outside, and he pulls Austin, and he goes flying and hits off the the barrier, which I I got a reaction. I mean, I never saw that coming. Yeah, I thought it was like, it, did you get the same reaction I did when you saw it? Like, oh like, yeah, ah, oh, that looked bad. Because mm-hmm. like you see the modern barricades, like they've got the big thick black kind of layer thing over. Yeah, those are classic steel barricades. Right, this is fucking plain steel here. Yeah. The way he's fallen, he's got that. He's basically been pulled by Savio. He's got very little way of controlling how he falls and how he lands. Yeah, you just got to you just got to land and hope for the best. Yeah, you're, you're pretty much free falling at that stage. Well, I tell you what, he came off better with that one when he did it end the SummerSlam '97. Oh, yeah. yeah, that was the most unfortunate situation. But the less said about that for now, the better. There's a bit where like 
Samuel keeps trying to hog tie him, but he can't quite get it. Yeah, yeah. And then he like, yeah. ties him up. He tries to go for his corner, but also he basically cuts off his momentum by just grabbing onto the bottom rope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's the thing with all the, the touching four corners. I think that's what some people don't like with the strap matches. And not to get too far ahead of myself, but they do it in this match. But the main issue I have with finishes to a strap match is that there's only one real finish you can do, and it's the one everybody does that, that one person touches all three pads. Doesn't realise the other person just touched him as well, and then whoop, the person that was behind them gets through, hits the other pad. Yeah, jumps over them or makes them miss or some shit. You know, there's some teams also I can't get, oh, you must, you know, disrupt their momentum. It has to be four, all four within succession without interruption. But then when, I don't get why sometimes when they're still pulling on it, that's not officially counted as a disruption. You have to actually hit a move on them sometimes to yeah. count as, like, oh, it's been called off. Like, what? Let me ask you this much, though. Mm-hmm. How surprised would you be, right, mm-hmm. if you seen a, a strap match? Like, ha- Firstly, if you seen a strap match happen in this day and age, because yeah. it's not something they really do nowadays, you know, mm-hmm. strap matches. But firstly, if it happened, and B, if you were watching a strap match, right, regardless of who it is, like, mm-hmm. this is just a hypothetical match between two people, and you saw the one turnbuckle... Mm-hmm. And then the like, continuation, like one and then one and then two and two and three and three, mm-hmm. right? And you're sitting there watching it, you're going, oh, here we go. Yeah. Like, the good guy is going to jump over him or make him fuck up and yeah. some some shit, right? Yeah. How surprised would you be mm-hmm. if like, he'll reverse that on him, mm-hmm. knock the bitch the fuck out, and then just went round like, slapped his stone cold, knocked out ass in the middle of the ring and just went, boom, 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 boom. Done one. I'd be definitely surprised because at that time I would be very much all oh, here we go, you know. So I think it would make the person who the heel probably looks a lot smarter than previous ones because they saw oh, the guy's clearly watched the strap match before. Yeah, ah, he, he knows the trick. <laughs> ah, I see you've played knife Spoonie <coughs> before. <laughs> or like he turned up, he turned, lost the turns. Ah, I see you've played touch the turnbuckle before. I, I was gonna, I was gonna make a joke, but in my head, I thought, no, that's gonna sound really fucked up, so I'm not gonna make that one. If it sounds fucked up, it probably is. Yeah. At one point, Austin hits a really sick looking pile driver, and then DBRC tells him like, no, don't touch the bed. Hit another one. We want him properly, like knocked out. He goes for it, but he manages to, he manages to counter it. Uh, then he, he goes, he locks in the million dollar dream. Savage so does a kind of one with the Bret Hart like thing where he. Cleans up the turnbuckle, but then pushes himself off so his body weight goes down on him. Also, imagine they break the hold. Yeah, that was cool. And then they do the the, the four corners thing, but Austin you know tries to stop. Him. And then when his attempts to stop Savio, accidentally pulls him, sending Savio past Austin and into the fourth pad. Yeah, even that itself mm-hmm. was unique for the time. For the time, yeah, you know, because usually, like, like I think I've been hitting on. Sort of, it's mm-hmm. usually like the face will, you know, jump over the guy or scoot under him or mm-hmm. knock him out of the way. But even, at, you know, you talk about like, shouldn't certain things be a distraction? Mm-hmm. If the face has to interrupt his touch, touch, touch the corners mm-hmm. to do a move, mm-hmm. is that not an interruption itself? Could be. The, the rules are not always made clear now. WWE has its rules, and it so it chooses when it does and doesn't follow. Oh, oh. Yeah, yeah. That, that is, I think, yeah. very clear. Hey, Savio wins 21 minutes, 27, I think, uh, when here. 
Uh, but I know, it's, I know it's over the 27 minute mark, 21 minute mark. Yeah, it's a long one. Uh, the, also, what's handy with Wikipedia is that I have the match links for the for the version that you can actually see the matches. But I also had the match link for the version that you couldn't see. Oh, do tell. Uh, let's let's play. I'm going to play this game for all three matches. Let's play over or under eight. 21 minutes. The Savio match went here on the first attempt where it was in darkness. Was the match length let lower or lo- shorter or longer than the match we saw here? Shorter. That is correct. The Virgil met one went around 15 minutes. Cool. Okay, give me another one. Well, I'll get to the other ones when we get to them, when we finish them. Okay. Uh, Austin, as soon as he, like, DiBiase looks shot, like, no, he's he's all screaming bloody money, like, I didn't mean I'd really mean it when I said I'd leave. Then Austin immediately just fucking ditches his ass, like, fucking see ya. See ya. You're the one that made the stipulation, not me. You you said it. Uh-huh. You got to go, you said it. And then, uh, Savio cuts the music, and then Gert has has everyone saying na na na, hey hey, goodbye to DBRC. <laughs> yeah. And then I put this thing here because they randomly cut backstage. Uh, HPK doesn't understand computers because it's just shot shot from the back. He's just staring at his computer and just did the yeah do. Not this, not the same. No famous. There's a different gif of like of Sean no doing the whole like type of computer. It's not that same one, but it's very much the same one. Like <laughs> like many people are like oh these newfangled technologies. Do you know I don't I don't know if I, it was just the fact that I was really and was until he got old and Jesusy. <laughs> you know until he got old and Jesusy, I was really 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 gay for Sean. <laughs> I loved him, and see. When he was sitting there doing the tap and tap and going stupid computers, mm-hmm. I was just sitting there going, "Oh, <laughs> cute!" Yeah, I'll, I'll show you how you work a computer. <laughs> uh, I thought he was adorable. Ah, uh, Sean, you're pretty, but you're very stupid. <laughs> cute but stupid. Another <laughs> Fraser reference. Yeah, yeah. I hated that. I hated that. We go into now Vader versus Yokozuna. We get a recap from like six or so weeks ago. Of uh, Yoko getting his ankle taken out by Vader. <laughs> big incompetent versus big and hungry. <laughs> uh, like as I said before, this was a match that Vince wanted for us to win. I remember that, but then I didn't re- always realise that the match eventually did happen, and it happened yeah, here also. That's in your house. And when, when, uh, it got a long road for Vince to get the match he finally wanted, but he got it. And honestly, it was probably exactly what you'd assume my match between these two would look yeah. like. Yeah, Vader trying his damnedest to get anything out of big fat Yoko. There was a lot of stalling here, you know. They do a big shove off, like that's a bit of a shove off, where basically he knocks Vader down and Vader's kind of hesitant. He was this bearded, bearded braids Yoko. He didn't have braids, but he was very, but he was bearded, uh, and he does do the whole like you know, small pose, and he's waiting for. For Vader, like, come on, come at me and everything. Yeah. Uh, tries to, and then obviously because he gets back at Vader by trying to go after the legs, so, you know, very rare to see, to get to see in a match. Yokozuna works, worked a body part. That's yeah. not what you'd expect to talk about in a Yokozuna match. Very true. We're, and we're going to be talking next week about Yokozuna again, and these are varying, wildly, even though they're only three or so years apart, varying looks at his career. This is very much... He's on the downward spiral with his weight gain everything. Yeah. Whereas, potentially around about the peak time for Yokozuna in the next one we're going to talk about. Ah, oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very true. But I, I believe uh, peak Yoko was... I believe peak Yoko was his first stint mm. before he was even the champ. 
Yeah. Because if you go back, right, I don't know how often you may have seen this match, mm-hmm. but it's Survivor Series 92 match against Virgil. I've seen some footage of it for OSW. All I love about it is it then led to the, one of my funniest, I think, backstage interviews. Yeah, Yoko, Virgil lying on a stretcher. And Virgil calls him Yokozama. No, and, uh, no, no, I have to correct you because I've watched it a few times and I love it. He's he's lying there after Yoko basically destroys him, mm-hmm. right? And this was peak physical condition, Yoko. You know, agile Yoko, mm-hmm. scary, <laughs> fast, huge, mm-hmm. agile. But he's lying there going... Ah. Uh, 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 Lord Alfred Hayes, this Yokozuma, <laughs> oh, he dangerous, man, <laughs> he dangerous. Also, Lord Al, I love how he describes what happened to, to Virgil. Virgil, in all of my years, <laughs> I have never seen anyone take a shellacking the way that you did that. I loved Lord Alfred Hayes. Oh, I remember, I didn't realise where it came from, but... Uh, yeah, I remember Colt Cabana and his podcast uh, for years whenever he had to like plug like merch or advertise something before it, he'd always play the club of Lord Al going marginal consideration paid for by the following <laughs> do you know do you know I'm I'm pretty sure in the very early tapes I've got it's Lord Alfred Hayes doing the, the warning bit as well mm-hmm. you know all WWF wrestling superstars are highly trained professional athletes do not imitate or copy their performances or actions. <laughs> this program is solely intended for your viewing pleasure. <laughs> uh, I got that. You gotta love Lord Al. Yeah. But uh, you gotta love me because I had that to a T. Also, uh, revision, a bit of revisionist history here that ah, the last man who the only other man to slam Yokozuna is Ahmed Johnson. Because uh, like, Vader's trying to slam Yoko, we can't get him up. And like revisionist history, uh, indeed. I, I was going to say, oh, are we forgetting a certain blonde-haired man who wanted to be our hero? Yeah. No one else wanted him to be their hero, though. It's, it's just because he, just because he showed up in WCW with his weird long white fucking interview with a vampire-looking shirt that he wore that one time. That didn't suit him at all. I did not know. Maybe he should have come out in a WBF vest. <laughs> oh wait. <laughs> That company went as well as the football one. Mm-hmm. So also, Vader tries to slam, but Yoko manages to take him down with a... I'll generously describe it as a belly-to-belly. <laughs> you mean a floppy-to-floppy? Ew! Well, it's technically a belly-to-belly, but it's a very big belly, a big belly to a very larger belly. We're going to get that out he, there. He made Vader look like a cruiserweight. He... He probably eats as much as Vader weighs, I'd assume. <laughs> Not I'm <anymore>. sorry, Yoko. <laughs> but uh, then Cornette tries to get involved, Vader. Uh, Yoko wants to hit him with the bonsai. He would have fucking crushed the poor man. Fucking squashed him flat the way he would. Uh, Vader manages to save him and then goes right after the knee. Hits the, uh, the Vader bomb for the win. 8 minutes 53 uh, this went. So, Paul, it's time once again to play longer or shorter. What was the first attempt? Was it longer or shorter? Than the match we got here. Shorter. Correct again. The first attempt went three minutes. And they decided to give them more time for some reason. Yeah. I, I'll i tell you why I thought that. Mm-hmm. Well, well, you say that's the match that Vince wanted, right? Well, obviously, if it's going to be actually lit and ready to go, he's going to give it more time. Because mm-hmm. Vince was in the habit of giving a lot of time to matches that didn't need it. I mean, I think that match was eight minutes too long. 
you can, this is the most generous thing I can say about this match, right? My, my standards weren't entirely high, especially for Yoko at this stage of his career. Yeah. But I will say this was better than that time he fought Mabel in your house for. I have to say, thankfully, I don't believe I've seen that one yet. No, we, well, we watched it, but I think you've put it out of your mind, thankfully. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, yeah remember in your house four, that was the that was the very bad one that we watched, the very, very bad one. I have that, don't I? Yeah, that was that one, Bulldog v Diesel, fucking Sean handing over the IC belt. Was that the one I I was expecting of a, a match with the head shrinkers with the belts and they didn't have it, or was that SummerSlam? That was a SummerSlam, yeah, in 84. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, so that disappointed me so much. Where advertise the champions on the back. I thought you, I thought you knew. I remember I talked about it and you didn't know. And I didn't know. I was so started, sad. I mean, I was going to talk about it one way or the other, but you know, I was happy to educate you at the same time. I wasn't happy to be educated. I was. Well, you sad. had to be educated. You at least you're 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 lucky. I told you before you watched it, and rather than you have your heart broken when you watched it yourself. Yeah. You say that like it's funny, but my heart was broken. I wanted to have a tape with the bloody head drinkers with the belts. Damn it. I have it. One of the raw tapes I have has a head trinkers with the belts, but it's not the same. I mean, they had the belts at King of the Ring 94. Oh, yeah, but I don't have that, I don't think. Yeah. Well, maybe when I check your collection after this. Speaking of King of the Rings. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah. But, but, uh, but yeah, I would say like it's better than that. At least there was a conclusive finish to this one, and it wasn't just five minutes of fat men running into each other. <laughs> Because at least Vader is a big guy, but he's more agile than fucking Yogo or Mabel ever were. Well, do you know, in a fantasy match, mm-hmm. I'd love to see... And I, please don't hate me for using this term. Mm-hmm. I would love to see peak Mabel mm-hmm. versus peak Viscera. Did he have a peak as either Viscera or oh, Mabel? Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah. See when he was first Viscera... Uh-huh. God, he was vicious. Okay. See, because they had because they had him playing this character, just a very much. I'm going to come into this ring. I'm going to hit you once very painfully, and you're going to die. Mm-hmm. They didn't make him move a lot, so they made them seem better. And what exactly is, do you consider peak Mabel? When he was all happy and they won the belts for that time with Mo. Aye, because he fell on one of the Quebecers and yeah. couldn't get up again. But didn't they lose it like a couple of days later? Yeah, they were both both title changes happened on house shows, and you know, Viscera. I will say, I've said it before on Rogue Opinions, but he tested the limits of the phrase "black is slimming." With oh that, yeah, with yeah. that giant bin bag. That Don't he you wear. think he looked crazily creepy though? Yes, like. I think Ulrlin Ministry Undertaker, he was the most intimidating fucking looking member of the ministry. I'm sure, like the Midian and Viscera from back then, they would not look at a place in the cat house nowadays. I mean, fat old goths that kind of gee up their lifestyle? Yeah. You call me fat? No. <laughs> no, I was, I was agreeing with what you I said. Do, I don't go to the cat house. Studio. <laughs> anyway. King of the Ring, you're advertising the 96th version of it. Uh, they, they, this is a weird advert. They have King as a, as a, in, a, in an actual castle, and then he chokes on a leg, and it seems like he's gone to heaven, but really he's in hell yeah. or whatever. I have no idea what's up. And then this Elvis shows up for some reason. I, I don't know what's going on, but then they talk about the, 
the King of the Ring brackets, and they've already started talking about Goldust for Yamed. They've already started building to that for the IC's belt, like King of the Ring. Why did Goldust have to lose to that fuck nugget? Because uh, Goldust lost uh, his first round, I can't remember who, who to, but because of the, you know, because of the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah. And then uh, Ahmed Johnson was in a King of the Ring qualifier, and I think it was against Steve Austin, and then Owen comes in and knocks him out with the... Uh, with the well, cast. No, no it, was, it, was, it was Ahmed v. Vader. And then yeah, Owen comes in with a cast and knocks him out. Yeah. And while he's on the stretcher... Goldust gives him mouth-to-mouth. Yes. Which, Vince McMahon, like, I mean, JR does it well. That's not CPR. That's disgusting. And then, like, you've got fucking Vince McMahon going, Oh, my God. That is rough. That is sick. Get him Like, I think like it's the most vile thing they've ever seen. And Do you know, legitimately, mm-hmm. Ahmed Johnston was legitimately pissed about that segment? Mm-hmm. Like, he could not separate reality from kayfabe. He was all like, that motherfucker fucking put his lips on me, fuck. Wait, I think we've talked about it before, but I'll mention again that apparently the plan was because they put his mouth over the kind of camera way and make it look like he was doing something, but he kind of put his lips on the but wouldn't actually do anything. And Dustin said, that's what I'm going to do. As soon as he done it, he didn't do the mouth thing, and he allegedly actually stuck his tongue in Ahmed's mouth uh. as kind of a rib. And Ahmed got up and seen it, and Ahmed was... We see him running around, shoot, busting at the back stage area looking for a Golda. He, that is very much part, a lot of the rage is probably genuine because I'm out like, what the fuck did you do? <laughs> yeah, but stuff. the thing is, like, is, is one of the only things that ever makes me smile in Bret Hart's uh, documentary. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, Otherwise known as wrestling shadows. Uh, otherwise known as Canadian bitch whines about everything. <laughs> but anyway... I digress. I think. <laughs> the only thing that makes me smile in that whole documentary mm-hmm. is a bit where he's talking about gold dust and caricatures and that, talking about how gold dust plays this weird androgynous as he is, he know. But he's really a hardcore Texan for fucking Texas that loves country and cowboy boots. And it shows you gold dust backstage. Mm-hmm. And he's just, he's hamming it up the fuck. He's like, he's wearing a raw t shirt and he's uh-huh. got his gold dust gear on, but like, no fully. Uh-huh. And he's just putting the voice up. He's like, oh, I'm just Samuel from Saskatchewan. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? You're like, ah, man. You know. Well, like, oh, he's just this big, like, rough Texan from Texas. Like, and he's so, like, I, I like Samuel from Saskatchewan. Okay, that seems to be where you find those Texans in Texas. Uh, one, gold dust for Texas. Stone Cold's from Texas. Well, I'm pretty sure the Rhodes family is actually from Georgia, but you know. Well, he lives in Texas. Oh, you yeah. Know what I mean? But Stone Cold's Texan. Mm-hmm. Sean's a Texan. Uh-huh. Fucking JBL's, I think, a Texan. Yeah. You know, all good, big, bodily bastard wrestlers come from Texas. Terry Funk, is he not a Texan? Yeah, he's from, he's from Al- Amarillo. Amarillo, yeah. Uh-huh. And he's, he's a legend. Mm-hmm. Let's just let's just leave it at that. No more needs to be said. He is a legend. No more needs to be said. Yeah, and because of the weird way that the the card has worked out, also this was never the intention. Because it's worked out, you know, they've clearly looked at three matches and thought, well, this is the one that should go on last. So, well, excluding you know, not this isn't counting WrestleMania six because both belts were defending the same match. But this is probably the earliest time that the IC belt or a belt other than the the World Championship. Main evented a pay per view over the world title. Yeah. With the IC title going on last year with Goldust defending against The Undertaker. And as I said to you before, the idea of hearing the words Undertaker and Intercontinental title match to me, because The Undertaker, outside of the world title, has only held one other singles title in his WWE career. Hardcore? Mm hmm. Yeah. 
Uh, and, you know, that's because Undertaker didn't help, didn't use the whole, he was either a tag wrestler mainly with Kane or using the world title, but he really held one the, what you'd consider secondary or mid-card le- belts. Was it the, was it the WWF or WCW belts him and Kane held? Oh, they held, they held both of them. At one point they held both at the same time. Yeah, because that was the whole thing during the invasion story. Yeah. Like, they both held them. Uh-huh. And, uh, which, which one did they hold longest? Or think, did they lose them both at the same time? I think they tailed WF Gold before they, hit, they won them early in 2001 for the feud for the power trip. And then they won the WCW ones before SummerSlam because they were feuding with DDP and Canyon, who then won the WF one. So they won them. I think they held the WCW ones longer because they got cost the WWF belts before Unforgiven and then had that match with Chronic at Unforgiven. So the WCW belts, which was voted worst match of the year. <laughs> And the only reason I felt like, like Chronic were there because they were both pals with Taker. Mm. Mm-hmm. Was this one about the time when, when Taker was developing just a touch of a poncho? Mm-hmm. I think he had it in 2000 as well, but I 2000 started 2001. But when he wins the hardcore title, and for that end of 2001, most of 2002 run, he's got short, he starts cutting his hair and everything. Yeah, yeah. And he's acting like a proper bastard. That's one of my favourite Taker. Oh, when he's big evil, I, proper, but I, I, I remember he, was, and he loses the hardcore belt to Maven because the rock interferes. And everything, and then he does the whole match with with uh, Ric Flair. Then he wins the undisputed belt. Has that great match with uh, Jeff Hardy. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've got to say though, in regards to Maven, mm-hmm. loved his entrance music. Oh, he's got he's got two entrance. They both have that same kind of open guitar, but different lyrics. Oh, see that first one. The, the, oh, it was so good. Apparently, the the music that he was first given. Apparently it was whoever the male winner of Tough Enough was just going to get given that theme. It wasn't really chosen for him. Yeah. It was just like, oh, well, congratulations. Here's your It's so what for him, though. Mm-hmm. It's sad, though, when you think that somebody's entrance music was better than the one. I often seen Maven come up, along with like, so Alex Riley or people like that, as people who entrance, whose entrance theme was better than them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then people, you got people who were better than an entrance music. Mm-hmm. Long Island Ice Z, for example, <laughs> but so like, I hated his entrance music so, so much. So we got obviously this match with the Undertaker and Golda. Golda comes out, obviously it's and Golda. They talk about the CPR thing. I was like, "Oh God, man, he's set right up." And then Prince Spear goes, "Well, I guess it worked. The CPR worked. So <laughs> he should be thanking Golda. He saved his life." <laughs> so I love, I love that from Mister Perry. No, he's not giving a fuck about you know as he gays. You know, he's just giving. He's backing Golda up because he's a heel in there. I, I, I. Loved Gold Dust mm. so much. I still do. I put I like this but I put my nose because Gold Dust goes into the ring, he's waiting for an Undertaker and uh also this is when Gold had that brief time where the strap for the IT belt is gold as well. Yeah. It was really good. And then Paul Bear comes out, you don't see Taker and then he just pops up behind him in the ring when they do the wide shot and I just put my my notes, he's behind you <laughs> <laughs> You know, Taker takes it to end of flying clothesline, old school uh and then there's a point where Goldust actually attempts a tombstone during the match with the yeah. uh, Well, a lot of people in that time period forget, like, see, because they played so much on Goldust's weird character, mm-hmm. they, they were always so surprised when they realised that, nah, this guy's fucking. Mm-hmm. This guy's a good wrestler. I think that's why they called him the natural in WCW, because I think he was talented in the ring, but also because like, they played in the fact well, he was, well his dad's in the wrestling so it could only go extends that he'd be a good wrestler as well yeah. And but like I said like the character had very much limitations and it's you know it's a big thing in wrestling sometimes people's characters don't always let them show how talented you know they can be mm. you know. but it was it was so um, mm-hmm. even as Goldust even though he couldn't like um, mm-hmm. 
like show the extent of his wrestling mm-hmm. talent, uh-huh. wrestling ability. So, mm-hmm. so good. He was like along the lines of the great less wrestlers that could get in your head. You know, you got Gold Dust, you got Mankind, you got Jake Roberts, you've got the Fiend. Mm-hmm. You know, so many great wrestlers that could get in there and make you either really hate them, mm-hmm. really feel them. Mm-hmm. I really love them. Mm. All the really good ones like Goldust, for some people, he could do all three. Yeah. <laughs> you know? He could do all three. He was like, you sort of sounds like, I love you, just stay, stay back a bit. Hey. <laughs> you do you, but in your own time. Yeah. You do the, you, do you not me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Goldust, he was probably like Goldust starts choking on Dig with like a camera cable at one point. Yeah. Everything and. You know, Taker's shown some vulnerability, much like he would in his his uh, man came out, and that said, like he's he's he kind of alternates for a wee while in '96 between one every couple of babies against Mankind, one against Goldust, Mankind yeah. back to Goldust for a little bit, and you know it was like it, it, I think it was a breath of fresh air for for Taker at this period, and that match is good. You know, Goldust a lot of Goldust offense does seem to be him doing variations of a choke on Taker. So while I was interested in seeing these guys go at it, the match does seem to follow a very by numbers sort of formulate kind right. of thing where Taker gets the offence and then Goldust slows it down and everything and people are angry and people are chatting rest in peace as they used to back then I think a few people were chanting some rather derogatory terms as well mm-hmm. it's amazing how you vet, you go to different shows from like 95, 96 some shows they, they've edited out some shows they don't well, you 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 see these things on the network. I see them f- fucking pure and on un- uncut yeah. on tape, and a lot of Goldust early matches, a lot of the chance aired around Fag. Yeah, uh, like his match with Warrior, he got very he was around the outside a lot because he was stolen. That means the camera was very Mike was very close to him, and the fans that were very close behind him. Yeah. So you heard even on the network, you hear things. Yeah, that you hear Fag and okay. Mm-hmm. You hear some very na- nasty commentary. Some very nasty things I said to yeah. to go there. The, you know, the, sort, the sort of things that would make the woke generation cry into their mm-hmm. banana milkshake or something. Yeah, yeah and like you can say, argue oh, it's that particular area of the US. Like, no, it was pretty much almost everywhere they went. Yeah. East Skellings followed Goldust. Uh, then, like, he tries to choke him out, but he does try and then roll him into the casket. And I do love the, the weird loophole. No, the door must be shipped. Because he tries to shut him in, and then Digger just sticks his arm at the casket. And like, no, it's not over yet, and he starts fighting back. It's yeah. a, a lighter well, point. If you remember the stipulation, the very first casket match was Survivor Series 92, Undertaker v. Lu Yingadin and Jai Kamala. Mm-hmm. That match was not finished, and the bell did not ring until the final nail uh-huh. was hammered into the casket. Which, was, which in theory, is good. But I remember watching that, and then he's in, he's in that guy. He's, he's, he's feel like he's been in there for a while and he's casually just Undertaker. Crowd's still going metal somehow, but Taker just casually just doing the wee nails in the coffin. No, if you watch it correctly, mm-hmm. Taker is like, he's got the big nails yeah. and he's going poof, poof, poof. Even on a couple of them, he hits it so hard he breaks off side of the fucking lid, man. He's like, bang, bang, and then one of them I laughed a bit. Because I think it's one of the ones near the top end, mm-hmm. and he goes to hammer it, and he completely scuffs it and bends <laughs> with things, and then he has to stop realign it, and when then he gets it in. They really and, and poor Kamala when they get up backstage, they probably let the lid, lid open with fucking Harvey Whippleman and Kim Chi, <laughs> aka the Brooklyn Brawler, uh-huh. who is like stolen out of him, gibbering and 
mm-hmm. weird speak going, ah, oh, Kamala, blah, 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 Kamala, and then slaps him in the mug while <laughs> Kamala's lying there in this coffin. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And like, I think that, that, like, having him actually kneel, put the nail in the coffin, that, and then, like, his early cast get managed, they really leaned in. One of the few times they probably leaned into what un- they, the term Undertaker really means, because, like, you'd have. Yeah, yeah. they have to show you footage of him making the caskets for his opponents and everything. You just reminded me. Mm-hmm. See the, the promo leading up to that match. Yeah. Oh, so chilling. Mm-hmm. Like, and fucking Paul Bear, like, oh, my Undertaker has made a special casket just for you, Kamala. Oh, yeah. Or, like, or how they try to politely say that, say, when they do the promo for, like, the Yoko casket match at Rumble, uh, like, Oh yes, we've got this extra wide casket for you, Yoko. And then, like, we make sure it's extra big because you're a very fat man, Yoko. And you know, just to think, safely stuck mm-hmm. with using the round-edged mm-hmm. caskets that they'd been using mm-hmm. instead of reverting back to that hard-edged one. Uh-huh. Maybe Sean wouldn't have fucked his back. Yeah. Well then. Then you go, okay, him going away didn't really fix immediately fix these issues, so I think if he stuck around, maybe he wouldn't have got clean, or maybe, not so much clean, maybe he wouldn't have, you know, stopped being a dick. Well, I didn't mind him being a dick, I liked it for his character. Yeah. But I I have said to you many times in the past, like, had he not had <laughs> that problem at the time, yeah. there's very much the chance we would be talking about Shawn Michaels now in the past tense. I, I I think so, yeah. Because he was at that point, mm-hmm. he was in a very not good place. Yeah, because like you know, ne- you never hear any stories from he's from O two to twenty ten. There's zero stories you hear about. I'm saying, oh, John Michaels did this backstage or whatever, because he, people actually saw that. Oh, maybe Sean has like turned his cell around a little bit. Well, what was that one you told me about the time he turned up at somewhere and he he was like talking to Chris Jericho and like, we're making uh, you donk? I remember like it was the Raw before Mania X Seven. Jericho dressed up as Doink to attack William Mego and John was so heavy like, are you doink now? And no matter how many times Jericho said he, he wasn't doink, he like, I'm, I'm just doing a bit. And he's like, man, and by then Jericho eventually just lost the, the rag with him and started shouting at him. He goes, man, so rude. I never should have made you doink. <laughs> and then he, he passed out in Vince's office and then when he woke up he was basically told, ah, you're, you're sacked. Was it, did Triple H not even have a go at him? I, I, that, that was a point where Triple H was like, mate, fucking sort yourself out. Yeah, even Triple H, like, I'm your mate and all that, like, fix yourself. Well, I think he was married, I don't know if he had his, kid, his first kid yet, but like, that was a point where he had to sit to like, right, you need to sort yourself out, pal. I think, if I remember the stories, I think Triple H got mad at him, because I think Triple H had vouched for him. Mm-hmm. And because, like, look, he's my mate, uh, you know, he'll be alright, but he wasn't alright, and mm-mm. Triple H was like, look, you're making me look bad, you dick. Aye. Uh, I'm trying to help you out here and you're here and you're wasted and fuck you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Fix yourself. And uh and to to his credit, he he did. I love how we went from Casket Maxis to talking about Shawn Michaels again, didn't we? Well truth be told, and I don't know if it's just me being such an avid Sean fan, but I can't talk about casket matches without talking about Sean. Without talking about Sean. Mm. Maybe, because we, we, we kind of delve into it, as part of this from the vaults, it's something we, we do shows that kind of tie in in between the In Your Houses, like we've done it before me as well. I want to talk about me and, uh, Rumble 97 when we get to it. Maybe it's part of the series when we get to it, maybe we can do Rumble 98 at some point. I don't know if I can. 
Because I have seen the casket match. I don't think I've seen much else from that Rumble pay per view. Yeah, I've seen it. Mm. But do you know the thing is, and I'll I'll tell you this every time we talk about it. Mm. When he when he has the moment that mm-hmm. destroys his career for four years, yeah, it doesn't look like anything. And it, you know, like he goes out the ring. Mm-hmm. He hits off it like that. Uh-huh. But it doesn't look like anything's happened to him. Yeah. He even said like he didn't feel it properly until he woke up the next day and he can he could barely move. No, like he finished the match. Uh-huh. He finished the match perfectly. Mm-hmm. Went off. And like you say, he woke up the next morning he he couldn't move. Mm-hmm. And then he finds out he had shattered one and fused two. Mm. You know? And on the, I don't know if we still show it on it, but on early, don't try this at home videos. Mm-hmm. They show Sean, yeah, clipping his back mm-hmm. on the casket. They do, they do quite. A, a, there was one, and uh, don't try it at home. Where one of the, some of the few spots they show you are quite broad. They show you the danger. They showed that, and they showed the one where Bob Polly does that suplex and slices his back. Yeah, open. they show. They, they also show. We don't show it, mm-hmm. but we show footage of draws being lifted. Mm-hmm. You know that bit that they all, I always seen it, I thought, I wonder who that is. Mm-hmm. When there's like umpteen officials lifting a guy yeah. on a stretcher, that's draws. Mm-hmm. That's the only footage ever released of that match. Yeah, that is one of the few few pieces of wrestling footage that WWE will never allow anyone to yeah, yeah. And, and for good reason, I think. Oh, I think for good I mean, Because like, even if it was available... Who I, wants to see someone being yeah, like, destroyed, much, basically? Yeah, because like... That and the own footage, like some people say there is footage of it, but even if it was widely available, why would you? What kind of sick fuck would want to see that? Yeah, no, morally, I don't think you could bring us to watch it without even being tempted to look away. No, I couldn't watch it because yeah. I, honestly, it would it would, it would, would emotionally fucking destroy me. I couldn't see that. No, no. Right. You know, we've got, we've got so know. morose here. How do, how do I, get back? I don't know how we get back to this, but anyway, call this. We should never have made you doink. Basically, Undertaker, we go, let's go to the finish. Undertaker's got control that he is. He hasn't really hit the tombstone, but he's got uh, Gold is pretty much dead to rights. Opens the coffin and Mankind pops yeah. out of it. Because it's weird, because I don't know how they did it. Maybe there was a way that he could sneak under the ring, because the casket's sitting on top of something. I thought, mm-hmm. I thought what it may have been, mm-hmm. you know how the casket's sitting on top of something? Yeah. And it's right next to the ring apron? Mm-hmm. I believe... Mm-hmm. Either there was a partition in the side of the casket, mm-hmm. or a partition in the side of whatever mm-hmm. the casket was sitting on. So mankind slips in. Uh-huh. There's an opening in the casket that he can mm-hmm. get into, just like at the right time. You know what I mean? So he's not in there suffocating or some shit. Yeah. You know. But I think in up casket opens. Mm-hmm. He comes out, clamps in the mandible claw. Uh-huh. You know. Yeah. And uh, he, so he pops out, hits the mandible claw a lot, throws Taker in. Taker in. Goldust also gets the win. But then also they do a thing where like the casket gets locked and smoke comes out of it. Yeah. And eventually Paul Bear's all like, get him out, get him out. Ooh. And then they open it and Undertaker, he's gone. And you got to think Taker then also somehow went under the ring the way that Mankind probably did. Then you got to wonder, like, we don't know what point in the taping this was, so did... Does Taker just stay under the, to preserve Kiwi? Does Taker just stay under there the whole time? He's underneath the ring with a Game Boy. Because apparently, because apparently Paul White, uh, the big show, said that 
he had to go into the ring for St. Valentine's Day Massacre pretty much before anyone got in, any of the fans were let in. He was <laughs> under there the entire pay-per-view with like a wee portable TV, he had food, he had a wee thing that they wanted, they, I can't remember what they skated, but a wee portable thing that he could do the toilet in if he needed to yeah. under the <laughs> ring. He was there that long and then he was waiting for his queue. Apparently also, yeah, you, sometimes they'd leave yeah, Hornswoggle under the ring for ages when he was doing his spots. Apparently one time he was under there for so long, he fell asleep and missed his, his planned spot. <laughs> That's got to suck, man. That's, I'd, I'd, hate, I'd hate if I was wrestled to have a spot where I had to hide under the ring because I'd be so nervous about missing my spot. I wouldn't mind so much. I'd worry more if I was in Titus O'Neill's position mm-hmm. and I was coming into a Grand Royal Rumble, <laughs> the first ever one, and what do I do? I fall on my ass and slid right under the ring. <laughs> and you know, he's been a tag team champion. He's a big guy, nice guy. That's all anyone's ever going to remember. Mm-hmm. He he is the he is he is shock mastered himself. I think was the phrase. That is a very good way to put it. He has shock mastered himself. Mm-hmm. John Ottman, mm-hmm. natural disaster. Yeah, tag three team time champion. tag champion. Were we twice? Two or three? Once or two. No, I think only once, actually. I'm sure. Well, whatever. Like, mm-hmm. tag champion, two good gimmicks in the earthquake and tugboat. But No, he was typhoon. John, uh, John Tento was earthquake. I said John Altman. Fred Altman. Fred, uh, Fred Altman. Ah. John, John Tento was earthquake. Fred right. Altman was tugboat and but, typhoon. But no, he was tugboat. Mm-hmm. He was typhoon. Mm-hmm. Everyone's always going to remember him falling through that wall. Mm-hmm. Apparently, though, apparently Fred Altman is one of the nicest people you could ever meet. Oh. Very, very nice man. Still alive, thankfully. I think, uh, even though John Tenta sadly no well, longer. Well, John Tenta sadly had the the sea. Mm. You know, that big cunt in the sea. <laughs> but then, obviously, this is weird. I was like, open the coffin. Taker's no there. Twelve minutes thirty six. This went so Paul. Now that we, even though we've got so morbid somehow, let's let's try and lighten the mood. Because we talked about fucking casket matches. Let's lighten the mood up a little bit. Let's play one last round of longer or shorter. Well, how long was this one? This went twelve minutes thirty six. Was the version in your house one longer or shorter than this? Longer. You were wrong. The first attempt was only eight minutes. Oh, so I failed on one. Maybe they were trying to keep some of the matches short or big in the first attempt so they could just get stuff done in case the lights came back up. But, you know, oh, okay. but well, I, I don't mind getting two, two oh, right, one wrong. I wonder if the first attempt uh, had like the same mankind spot because if it's in the dark, especially if you're higher up, how the fuck are you gonna be able to tell? <laughs> how, would you, how would you know that that mankind was there? Very true. So I don't, you know, especially I doubt they did do this. They did the smoke spot, but you know, I, I imagine mankind would have got involved in some way in the first attempt. Here's one to get us out of that morbidness we got into. Here we go. Fantasy match. Uh-huh. Original Mankind uh-huh. versus original Bray Wyatt. Ooh. No, cult leader mm-hmm. Bray. Because you see, I don't feel that cult leader Bray uh-huh. would be intimidated by him. I think that he would. I think that that's a mind that a cult leader Bray would feel that was very good to work on. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about it, his first feud was against Kane. He did the whole like. He was kind of in the tradition between cult leader and Suki Bray when he started his thing with the Undertaker. So yeah, his whole thing was I think not being afraid of anybody. So I definitely agree with that. Statement. Yeah. 
Uh, but Paul, that has been In Your House 8 in a long roundabout way. In Your House 8, beware of dog. Uh, obviously, they had to make a lot of changes, you know, because of how things worked out with the pay-per-view. I think so. But- I think also it's very telling that we have managed to, as the show is called, we have managed to ramble and jump down some, at times, very morbid rabbit holes. I, I, I definitely say, regardless of what happened, I think Meryl v Triple H and the strap match are my two like highlights of yeah. this show. I'd, I'd agree with you on that one. Meryl's match and the strap match. The rest the rest of it... Because the card on paper, when I read it, even regardless of what everything that happened with the, the electrical stuff and like, the power yeah. going out, on paper, this looks like the strong... This look, actually has the potential to be the strongest in your card on paper that we've talked about so far. But, yeah, it was woeful. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't expect much, like I said, from Vader Yoko. I was slightly let down at points by Taker Goldust because, you know, it was a it was a match you only seen a couple of times, but it did follow a weird formula, like, by the numbers, as we said. Yeah. And then fucking Bulldog... Sean bored the tits off me. No, uh, well, I honestly, did you're basically, and I I hate to speak ill of the dead and the. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, fuck it, I'll say it too. Let the dead in the sense of Sean's character. <laughs> you know, a born again Christian has no character or life. So, yeah, yeah, your point is. My point is, one competent drug addict mm-hmm. versus one incompetent drug addict. In a rehashed match, mm-hmm. but they were both probably bored sick of of rehashing, mm-hmm. with a dumbass concept mm-hmm. of Sean wanting to go against the man's wife. Uh-huh. So, in a weird sense, mm-hmm. even though Sean's the face, they seem like they're trying to make him the bad guy, mm-hmm. and even though Bulldog's the bad guy, they're trying to make him seem like he's been wronged in some fashion. So it's the most convoluted fucking story. Mm-hmm. Then you've got Clarence Mason. <laughs> then you've got Owen Hart getting a manager's license. Mm-hmm. So it's it's as if like not only they had the technical issues, but they tried to fit so much into a story that just it didn't need. Mm-hmm. You know, they could they could have made that match because you know what? I'll give I'll give Davy credit for one thing. See when he was properly motivated, like you talk about like the matches you had with Brett. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal matches, blah blah blah, right? Is run as tag champ, we own. Phenomenal quality matches most of the time, you know? But, you know, if you had simplified that match and just made it, you know, like they could have, they could have even, you know, they could have even spent a bit of time on it and tried to, you know, Try to soften the fans' view on Bulldog and try to make him a little bit sympathetic. Mm-hmm. You know, like the way they did it one night only. Mm-hmm. You know, a guy fighting for his tight, fighting for the belt, trying to take it off the, the sort of like the showy woman chasing champion. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if we'd have done it right, like both guys could have came out looking good. They could even have gave Bulldog like. They could even, if they'd have done that right and both guys had have been on point, they could have had Bulldog win that belt and then drop it at King of the Ring. Mm-hmm. You know, that in a perfect world would have been the best thing to do because then Bulldog would have had his title title run. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't have been a long one, fair enough, but at least he would have had it. Mm-hmm. He'd have come out looking good, 
both him and Sean at their peak can put on great matches. He'd have dropped it in a great match at King of the Ring, probably. You know? So much more could have come from that oh. than what we got. So I sum up. Simplify, man. <laughs> like that guy from The Simpsons. So it's a simplify, simplify, man. Like, I, I honestly, even though it was a bit... So, too much shit for not enough reward. They'll simplify. Yeah, like, I think... Overall, when the way it worked out with Goldust Taker going on last and even though the intrigue of oh where is Undertaker gone, and at least the continuation of the Mankind feud because Mankind Mankind was a very intriguing character this time. I, I like that as an end to the period as opposed to what would have been the alternative if the lights hadn't gone off and the matches went as they were meant to go, yeah. where we would have just ended the pay per view with just you know Diana holding the belt upside down and the whole argument oh no contest and everything that's your <laughs> that's your main event finished for you, <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, it's, again, not the worst one we've seen. I mean, the worst one where I, I still maintain the worst one so far has been in your house four, which again had Bulldog in the main event. I don't know if you can see a common factor popping up here. Yeah, but you know, for what they were having to do, what they needed to do, I don't, it's not. It's like there's a reason that the electrical issues are the main thing that people remember and not the matches themselves. Yeah, because the electrical issues were the most interesting thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, again, Mero versus... I mean, I, I mentioned the two matches there. At least, I like... Look, it's better, more that can be said for some other in your houses we talked about where I've got more than one match that I can talk about in a positive fashion. Yeah. Especially the early ones, because, like you said, the first four, four or five in your houses, you could put together in your house card with one match from each of them of, like... Because you tend to be... One good match, a few shit ones. Yeah. We didn't, We like I say, we didn't start really getting into proper level in your house until it started, like you say, getting into the, when they were starting to, you know, make the in your house part of the title mm-hmm. just a little bit smaller. So you think maybe there's a star power kind of issue coming in? Because they want to build Vader up. Yoko's on his way out. Uh, Brett is obviously taking a break. Uh, Taker's starting to actually appear on the In Your House cards rather than just in dark matches yeah. and, and basically Sean Vince is trying to build the company around Sean while trying to find Sean credible competition while you know uh, Nash and Hall have both left so yeah. you think it's a case of he's trying to you know figure out what doing it some talent have left him and he's trying to make good of who he build new guys while yeah, trying to find guys who are marketable it's basically like WWF at the time was in that like is that transitional period between like <laughs> they had lost or let go mm-hmm. a lot of the guys that had got them to that point, mm-hmm. you know, and then this was just the period when they were trying to build people like they're trying to build Gold Dust, trying to build Mankind, Meryl. they're trying to build Meryl, they're building Stone Cold, mm-hmm. they're trying to reinvigorate people like Brett. Yeah. You know, all this is happening while trying to build a company around one guy, like yeah. Sean. Oh, forget we're trying to build, you know, like Triple H as well. Like Obviously, they had plans for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, who who knew only a few years later that Triple H and Stone Cold would be two of the biggest guys in the fucking company? Mm-hmm. You know? And, like, I think I'd, I'm assuming maybe they had some idea about the plans for Vader to win the tape, which also never happened. But, obviously, and then bring him back. It shows some desperation when they bring back Warrior for that, basically a few nostalgia like pops and things yeah. like that, which is what they did. And there was no real, real I don't think there's any belief way that Bulldog was going to win the belt at this stage because, again, like Vince is still going that thing, you have to build a company around one guy, and his guy now was shot, even though he didn't learn his lesson from building the company around Diesel. Yeah. 
Or building a company around Hulk. Aye, like building around one guy sometimes doesn't work. And it maybe he thought because Sean was a bit more competent as an athlete than, say, Diesel or Hulk, then maybe he thought, like, well, this time it'll work. Sean, it'll work. But that's midway through Sean's run, the NWO kicks off and the... I think at this point, you know, the NWO hasn't debuted yet. Yeah. I think Nash is just about to show up in WCW, and that's when the ratings uh, start going in WCW for eight or so weeks. Yeah. So, they, you know, they're just about to start getting their arse properly kicked by WCW ratings-wise. Yeah. Well, if you remember as well, uh, from all the stories I've heard from both Hunter and from Sean and from a few other people that were on at the time, Sean and Hunter basically had to... Badger and beg Vince. They were look, look at what's happening over there. Uh-huh. Let us do this DX thing. Apparently, they two and Shane were like had to use the idea of WCW getting China to convince Vince to sign her. Yeah, because it was Triple H and that it's about that first saw China and they wanted to bring her in to the company. Yeah, Triple H wanted to bring her in. Vince was Vince and his misogynistic, you know, mm-hmm. women are own, you know, as what mm-hmm. women are things. Yeah. You know, oh. a mentality. Sorry, there was a podcast I'll do. It's called the Cultaholic Classic Smackdown Review. Uh, and they do a thing about the treatment of women. They talk about, this is like 99, 2000. They're on yeah. at least the stage Amazon to them. And they talk about the treatment of women. And there's a, a phrase they use whenever they, you know, like whenever the treatment of women comes up. It was like, hippity hoppity, women are property. Yeah. <laughs> That's the mentality of the Le- movie. The treatment of women round about that time is why Trish Stratus had even one women's title, never mind seven. I mean, what's ironic about the thing about using WCW to get China is that years later WCW would have a bootleg version of China called Asia. <laughs> <laughs> that went well for them. It definitely did, yeah. So yeah. I, I definitely agree the transitional period is a big reason for like, the quality of, of the shows. Yeah. But, you know, this was, this was not the easiest one to sit through. But I have high hopes for... Because we look at, actually, uh, we've got an international incident. I've not seen a lot of things, but, you know, I, I'm interested to see that, that big six-man main event. Yeah. And it, I think I'll wait till next time we talk about some more stuff that happened at King of the Ring, which will be important for when we discuss what led to international incident. Oh, yeah. But you got that. Then you got Mind Games. That's a fantastic The only match I've actually seen from that is the main event between Mankind. Really? And that's the only match I've seen from that show. Mankind, we... Because I think it was part of a collection of, like, it was part of some W collection or whatever. But oh. and I watched the Mankind match. I love the Mankind match. Oh, oh before actually, we cover that, uh-huh. I'm getting you up here. We're getting some beers or whatever, in, and we're gonna watch Mind Games. I mean, You're gonna love it. I mean, I've watched the main event. I love that. But and also, whenever we do the review, I'm gonna try and find the section in Mick Foley's first book where he talks about the match because I'm pretty sure there's gonna be some interesting stuff to get learn from that. Yeah, I remember it being very interesting when I read it. Mike Buried Alive, I'm sort of looking forward to. I have seen the Buried Alive match, not a fan of it. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm like I'm, I can be kinder to a strap match than a kind of Buried Alive match. Yeah, but then then again, like then we're going and then we're going into Brett coming back. The lead up, the whole tension building between him and him and uh, Sean. Yeah, and everything like that, you know. And so I, I'm very optimistic about the future of uh, this in your gaff series. I think so, yeah, because we're 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 coming out of the we're coming out of the fog. But before we can, you know, put beware of dog behind us, Paul, we have to choose between the following ratings to give it either a double thumbs up, a single thumbs up, thumbs in the middle, single thumbs down, double thumbs down. I will give it less rating. Are you ready? 
I'm ready. Ooh, you're giving it a thumb in the middle and a thumbs. Uh, one thumb in the middle, one thumbs down. Thumb in the middle is for the two competent matches. Mm-hmm. Thumb in the down is for the rest, and <laughs> for the fact that you cannot build a pay per view around two bloody matches. That is, that is very much good, especially when it's only a five match card. Yeah. Uh huh. I'd say. Mm, I'm trying to think if the match matches between Mero and that were, were strong enough for it just to be a thumbs in the middle, or if it'll be a one thumbs down for me. Yeah. I can't. Uh, well, you I mean, go, I mean, go with your gut, man. I mean, let's think about it. The Bulldog match was so fucking boring. <laughs> so boring. Like I say, I, I, when you sent me the message, the voice clip, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't get it. Yeah. But that's why I messaged you, and you were like, let me just say this is boring. <laughs> so boring. Well, we didn't even mention that. I, like, I recommend you guys look up this clip from your Cornets Inside the Ropes tour, where he talks about getting a call from Stu Hart about the Diana story. And thinking that Bruce Pritchard or something like that is, is ribbing him. Well, that's hilarious. Uh, like, hey, you're making Diana look like a... Like a whore. Like some kind of whore. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, some kind of whore. And, uh, and he was like, oh, yeah. Some kind of whore. He thinks it's Bruce Pritchard like, doing a best like, Oh, yeah, no, it's that Bruce Pritchard. He's one of those sexual deviants. Uh, you know, no, really. man. One of those sexual deviants. No, no, he says that, but uh, Pritchard, like, he said, I, I call Vince. Now, rather, yeah, I'm going to do this. And he goes, and then, and then a second later, he goes, well, then as soon as I put the phone down, fucking Bruce Pritchard walks around the corner. <laughs> and I look at Davey, you know, like, who the fuck was that? Like, it was Stu. <laughs> and he goes, uh, then the next week, uh, I don't know what, what Stu said to Vince, if he even phoned him, but uh, they ain't want to hear no more. <laughs> <laughs> but, I remember you let me hear a lot of myself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're making Diana look like a whore. Right, I'm, g- I'm going to go thumbs in the middle. There you go. All right, cool. And, and that's the kindest thing I can say about the show. It's thumbs teetering very closely down. In your house, eight, you had to beg him for that. Yeah. You're you're taking full advantage of my generosity. Yes. <laughs> you are in your house, eight. But you've, you've got Savio Vega to thank for that. <laughs> thank you, Savio. But... Going into next week, uh, you will be hearing uh, our next episode of From the Vault, where we're going back a couple of years. Business is about to change quite a bit, but they're still doing quite well, and they put on a hell of a show with this show we're going to talk about. Bret Hart is a big part of it. This may be, arguably, Bret Hart's finest hour, I think. Maybe maybe the Iron Man match as well, you can count as that, but we have King of the Ring, 1993, the first ever King of the Ring pay-per-view event. Actually, the first ever televised yeah, well, King of the Ring. Well, well, I was going to say, like, I was, that's pretty much what I was meaning. Yeah, yeah. First King of the Ring pay-per-view event. And so, we're looking forward to bringing you that uh, next week. But, you know, I'm very much looking forward to, to that. Um, you are talking about in private about how much, how much we have to talk about in that one. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this was a long one, even though we didn't have much to say that about the show, but we, this, we uh, sure did talk a lot, though. We sure did talk a lot. So I'm wondering how we're going to keep focused when we do have a show that has a lot we're talking about. We'll we'll manage. I'm, I'm sure we will. We are awesome. We'll keep it to a, a manageable length, maybe. Yeah. 
Maybe. We'll do it. We're good. We're awesome. But to keep up with that and all our future shows as well as what we're up to, make sure you check us out on Twitter at SBRambling or like our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash round podcast. Or if you want to get to see me and some of the other stuff I'm up to, let me uh, follow me on Twitter at ScottMcLeod1996. And check out uh, their social media channels because we'll have the links to all of the podcasting platforms that we're available on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes. Google Podcast, Podbean, any Android podcast yeah. site you get your podcast on, you can find ours and in fact our past in your gas views, our previous pay per view reviews, and all sorts of other like, fabulous stuff that you can check out yeah. for your listening pleasure if you like. And as I've said before, you know, contact me on the Facebook. You know, if you're interested in content that you know doesn't stick, that doesn't stay in one place and is all over the place, we've got you covered. We got a couple Hell of years. We, we got a back catalog with a couple of years worth of content for you to select from. We did it all the way from our first show, which is in an actual studio. Yeah, no, we've went with the real reverse way, haven't we? We really have. We we need to we need to reverse it again. Yeah, I I doubt if I doubt if anyone knows of a studio that will let us in. Let us in. <laughs> let us in. And on, on that note, we'll just say goodbye, everybody. See ya. to find